Welcome into Two Four One Drafts. Austin Gale here, the host of Two Four One Drafts, a rookies and draft prospects podcast. I'm here with my guy Mike Renner. We're continuing our positional overview series. We did quarterbacks on Monday. We are on to wide receivers, and this is you know wide receivers every single year is always fun because there's so many different flavors in every single class: the slot types, the gadget types, outside possession types. Should be a fun one to go over. We also interview Bleacher Reports Connor Rogers, get his takes on the wide receiver class, and then at the back end of the podcast, interviews with offensive tackle Christian Darisaw and Pittsburgh edge defender Rashad Weaver. Let's get it. in studio with my guy Mike Renner and I decided to take you know the latest comments about my style being a coffee house brought to life because I got a lot of people asking me or saying that's like the funniest thing you said and it's so true and I kind of agree with it and the person you know wearing and I'm wearing a coffee coffee shop this is a a sweater from a coffee shop so I decided to do it you know I decided to like literally be coffee shop's life and I found out that one of my best friends from high school and college was the guy who asked that question about the tinder dating profile so he reached out and he said he was hoping we made fun of each other more and it turned out to be just like really nice about each other it was kind of weird a little, little bromance action but coffee house brought to life for you today coming off a monster day in the NFL, a ton of tags. I wanted to touch on the tag news or no tag news before we got into the wide receiver class and obviously the interview with Connor Rogers, Christian Derrissaw, Rashad Weaver, loaded podcast. Oh, yeah. To start, before we get into the guys who were tagged, could we talk about kind of the two major no tags and, and, and who are now some of the you know top available free agents, at least on the offense side of the ball? Kenny Galladay of the Detroit Lions, which I thought was like, assuredly going to get tagged yes. and now that he could potentially walk in frenzy is insane and from like a fantasy perspective even though he's like not a highly ranked free agent on our board due to positional value but aaron jones like that is interesting too them moving on or potentially moving on from aaron jones you're also also like a big packers guy aren't you a part owner of the Packers? part owner yeah so let's talk about those two no tags so I, i'd even throw joe tooney in there true despite uh, reports to the oh, contrary. Fuck, dude, that was so bad. <laughs> hey, Joe Tini got tagged. I'm like, oh, that's cool. And then later in the podcast, actually, I was an idiot. So Joe Tini didn't get tagged. So um, no tag for Tooney either. But I think the Jones thing, everyone everyone thought he was gone until it came out the running back tag was actually going to be super low based on the cap. And then it's like, oh, you know, they might be able to fit him in. But still, $8 million, they don't have it. And it can be used, I think, in my opinion better elsewhere in that roster the plan was always to move on from Aaron Jones after use that second round pick on AJ Dillon so that was not too surprising to me the Galladay one very surprising you have to hope as a Lions fan here that it's because you have a forward thinking front office who is not going to go out and sign some budget free agents to not nix your compensatory picks here and is going to get that third rounder in return because God is going to sign that sort of contract that will net you a third rounder and with where you are as the Lions in your life cycle of rebuild it's almost more valuable to have that that third rounder in 2022 than it is in 2021 because then that guy's cheaper for longer and that your window is more. Your window is going to be 2022, 2023, 2024. That's your window in this rebuild. So you have to hope that's what they're doing. Now, if they go, like I said, if they go on sign some free agents and kill that compensatory pick, then you could you have every right to be upset as a Lions fan. 
I think you did see reports, though, or at least like rumors that they were going to stick, kind of stay out of this free agency to make sure they got that. Well, they ha- yeah, yeah, you have to at this point, or else, like I said, you should have tagged them. But I do think the tag and trade sort of option, which I think is what the Bears are going to be pursuing with Allen Robinson after tagging him, could be a dangerous game this year because of the amount of talent that's going to be available because the teams are going to be shedding left and right. And then the amount of teams that can fit that tag underneath their cap. So you better have someone lined up to come and get that, to get in Allen Robinson, to get, if it was Kenny Galladay, if that was the plan to tag and trade him, that's what they would have done. You better have that lined up already because you could be SOL and stuck with this guy tagged on your roster counting 16 or whatever million the wide receiver tag is if you go ahead and do that. Because like I said, the lack of cap space, the, the sort of flooding the market with veterans is going to make those the teams wanting to tag and trade very minimal. And what kind of value do you think Kenny Galladay would have gotten on a tag and trade? Would he have gotten more than a third-round pick? And also, same part question, do you, what do you think Allen Robinson's value is on a tag and trade? I don't think it's a first. I still don't because, like I said, the cost, everyone's trying to cut costs right now. I think it's probably, I think you could get a second for Allen Robinson. He's still young. He's still 27 years old. Um, it's still obviously incredibly productive. So I do think that, teams are still and once it gets to after that first round pick which is i think in my opinion very valuable because of the the cost of it second round pick is i'd throw away a second round pick for Allen robinson if i had that sort of caps so on the colts someone like that for sure do you think the lions could have got a second for galladay possibly he's coming off an injury though it's like a different mm-hmm. situation that's why i think it's also it's, it's a different conversation than the Allen robinson one because yeah. i don't know i'm not as confident you could get a second rounder on a tag and trade for kenny galladay yeah. i think you're more more likely to get guaranteed that third round compensatory pick but um other news in free agency or some of the other tag stuff that i thought was interesting is that um shaquille barrett not tagged. Not tagged. Chris Godwin tagged for Tampa Bay, and then they did sign, I think, Levante David to a five-year deal with three void years. So it's really a two-year deal, doing a lot of crazy magic to kind of make the cap work this year, and I kind of like it. Let's say some of J- Jason Light's brilliance was the fact that they're not screwed after. It wasn't a one-year all-in. They have space to get these guys back. Like, they can get Levante David back. They can still get Shaq Barrett back, and obviously tag Chris Godwin hoping to get him back they have the kind of space to make those plays with they'd have to kind of you know cheaper year ones more cap down the road but they have the ability to do it they're not strapped like pretty much everyone else in the the falcons and the saints in that division well the saints though they still tag marcus williams well that's because the safety tag is nothing man the safety i still don't understand how they're they're even doing any of this stuff. I don't understand how they're signing anybody. Like, do you agree that I don't know what they're going to do? What are they going to do? I saw they restructured some contracts. I think they freed up some space with an Andres Pete restructure to save six million, and I think another player as well in the two to three million dollar range. But like, this is like, I know it's inch by inch, row by row over there in New Orleans. But you're going to have to make some big money decisions here soon if they're going to get over the cap. Yeah, we'll we'll see what ultimately happens because I, I'm of the I was of the opinion I've said it a bunch. Take take the hits this year. Take let the shit hit the fan this year, because you're gonna have to. If you do this thing where it's kind of like push all these other guys down the road with their cap hits, push Anders Pete down the road, and yeah, he's a guy you'd like to keep around. But if you're pushing all this down the road, you're really not going to be that great. Like you're, you're gonna, your roster is going to be worse than it was last year, and you're not going to have a quarterback like you had in Drew Brees you know, two years ago. You're just not going to get back to that promised land this year. I just don't see a way that that's possible. So 
like I said, let the shit hit the fan and then hope that 2022, 2023 is your year. But we'll see if they continue to do the Saints cat magic that they're known for and try to compete this year. A few more comments on the free agency stuff, the tag news, and then we'll jump into the wide receiver class. But right now, according to PFF.com, the best available free agents left unsigned. Kenny Galladay, number one, Trent Williams, Anthony Harris, safety of uh, Minnesota, and then Hunter Henry is the next guy, and then Will Fuller would be that fifth-ranked player. Of those guys, you know, those guys obviously entering free agency, I still wanted to get your take on Aaron Jones. And and do you have a landing spot in mind for Aaron Jones? Ooh, a landing spot in mind. That's a good question. Did not off the top of my head, but I I don't even know who would. I mean, Miami, that they have the space to get it done. And they obviously have a need for the running back position. That's one, and everyone always says, you know, get quarterback's best friend, whatever, running back. I'm not sure there's going to be a massive market, though. Like, I I do think teams are sort of have wised, will have wised up at this point to a degree on the big blockbuster Le'Veon Bell deals at the running back position. I I think that might be the last one you see in free agency of just like really giving a guy that much money. I still think there's a chance because of how much cap space they have that the Jacksonville Jaguars pull a Philip Lindsay on the undrafted running back James Robinson and bring in Aaron Jones to compete in that backfield Oof. because they have so much cap space. And you saw Philip Lindsay rushed for a thousand yards in back-to-back seasons as an undrafted free agent in Denver, and they still signed Melvin Gordon. And I know oh, James Robinson more complete back, whatever. You have a better scouting report on him than Lindsay. I still think because again they have so much cap space and it's like a luxury signing. I can see the Jacksonville Jaguars doing it. I think Shad Khan's learned. You think? I, I'm maintaining that this offseason, Shad Khan's learned from that 2017 just utter debacle of when they went all in on free agency. All the guys were gone by two years later, three years later. They went running back top five in the draft because that was the only need. I think they've learned and are making smarter decisions now i hope yeah we'll see we'll see we'll I mean, see tony won't text me back so maybe not <laughs> I, I saw some debate on twitter last night on who would you rather have so right now the number one ranked free agent available is kenny galladay the number five ranked available five ranked available free agent on pff.com is will fuller would you rather have kenny galladay or will fuller you know i'm a will fuller guy yeah i'm a big will fuller guy as well i think i'd rather have will fuller too even with the PEDs, the suspension, the health stuff, I think he does more. I don't know. I think I don't know if he's necessarily a better, you know, more consistent receiver or whatever, like whatever buzzword to use. But I do think Will Fuller is a more dangerous receiver. Can we have? Can I just bring this up real quick? Yes. Sam Mons is listening. Sam, we had like a bet back in the day when Will Fuller was coming out and Rashard Higgins was coming out. He fucking loved Rashard Higgins. I was like, Will Fuller is going to be the better receiver in the NFL. I don't think this is close. Rashard Higgins, fun player, runs a four six two. I, what are you going to do? This runs four six two at like 190 pounds. That guy was not going to be. He needed a fucking House of Athletes pro day is what Rashard Higgins <laughs> needed. Okay? He'd like probably that, run a four three if you uh, if that was the case. That guy was not just going to be. You're just going to be a limited wide receiver, and he's been fine, but he's been a limited wide receiver. Will Fuller, still only 26 years old, and like the PEDs is almost like a bonus. You're like, ooh, that guy was taking PEDs. Good. Okay, I what? keep bringing these up, but it's like he's going to be good then. Like that helps you be a better football player. PEDs. I'm not advocating for There's been multiple takes on this pod where you're like, yeah, steroids, hit it, run it. (laughs) Remember when Derek Wolf took PEDs before the Super Bowl run and then just had a monster year? They work, is all I'm saying. I'm not going to comment further on that. What was the bet with Sam Monson? A couple Irish beers? Probably not. I don't know. It was probably just pride. All right, let's get into the receiver class now. 
Let's get into the receiver class. We're, how we're going to do this is similar to how we broke down the quarterback class. Look at day one guys, day two, and then obviously kind of group some day three guys together and go from there. Starting with, like obviously, Jamar Chase of LSU. Hit me with his biggest positive, his biggest pro, and then his biggest con. His biggest pro is his physicality. Bully. That guy's built different. He's not even, he wasn't even that big. He was 6'1", 200, which doesn't sound terribly physically imposing, but you flip on the tape and... You don't see redshirt seniors throwing guys around the way he did on his tape at LSU. It was built different. It was just something you don't see, and that's why we have number one. DJ's calling him number two player in the class. Like there's everyone's super high on this guy is because he is a legit freak, like a freak athlete who's also has ridiculously good ball skills and body control. And in my opinion, he might be the single best receiver after the catch. And, and in terms of what will translate to the NFL after the catch because he had I stat I'm forgetting off the top of my head but it was the most within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage non-screens the most broken tackles of anyone last in 2019 so like plays you're not really supposed to, like hitch routes he would break tackles on consistently on his tape he's just that type of guy to where his releases aren't the greatest. His con, biggest con here is his shiftiness. It's going to have to get – that's going to have to get better. But with his size and his speed, and I, on tape, he, I think he is a legit 4-4 guy. He's rumored to be a 4-4 guy. As soon as he gets a step on you, you're toast because you're not going to be able to, like, restack him. He stacks you immediately because of how, just like, like I said, physically imposing he is. 24 deep catches back in 2019. That was 10 more than anybody else in this class had that year. Now, obviously, he didn't play this past season. Obviously, favorable situation with Joe Burrow. But that's what he's bringing to the table. Do you have a good player comparison for Jamar Chase? Have you thought about that at all? The comp in the draft guy is Justin Blackman. And now, obviously, it doesn't sound great. <laughs> Justin Blackman's issues in the NFL, well documented. But go back, flip on the tape. Oklahoma State, he was... I mean, he went for like 1,700, like a similar season his final year at Oklahoma State. That's why he was a top 10 pick. The guy was just a man amongst boys at the college level. And that's what Jamar Chase looks like. And now, obviously, uh, Just Blackman had bouts with alcoholism, dropped out of the NFL, but like had some like 200-yard games, I remember, in the NFL, or had some big games before, with the Jags before the shit hit the fan. Yeah, so. I mean, Justin Blackman wasn't wasn't a bust or didn't pan out in yeah. the NFL because of his on-field ability. It yeah, was yeah. definitely off-field stuff. And from, I mean, what Jamar Chase did from a production standpoint at 19 years old, in addition to how impressive that is to be that physically gifted to beat future NFL corners, Trayvon Diggs, A.J. Terrell, C.J. Henderson at 19 years old, I think you also have to be a committed motherfucker off the field to be 19 years yeah. old and that good at football in, in the SEC. And also, he played with the... He played with Justin Jefferson, who led all rookies in receiving and broke the rookie receiving record and outperformed him. Yeah. He played with Terrace Marshall, who's probably going to be a first-round pick. At and, least top 50. Yeah, and wholeheartedly outperformed him. He was in the same recruiting class. Like, he was the guy there. So, All right, let's now jump to Jalen Waddell, PFS number two receiver, the Alabama wideout. Speed is what everyone brings up first with Jalen Waddell, but you have his first positive listed as Twitch, which I think is a key separator. Difference. Yeah, difference. differential difference between him and Henry Ruggs, who obviously he's going to get off compared to Henry Ruggs because that's the last speed receiver that came out of Alabama. Talk to me about that Twitch for Jalen Waddell. So speed is a straight line. Twitch 
is everywhere. Anywhere he goes, any direction, it's quick. The man is lightning, whether it's with the ball in his hands or as a route runner. I think it's the biggest thing. And I, I was reading through Bruce Feldman's mock draft, which I would highly recommend. It's on The Athletic because it has a lot of good quotes uh, from college coaches. And one college coach said, we went back to the tape when we, walked, when we uh, played him. He was open every single play. He could have thrown him every single play. And that's what it's like. That is what it was like watching him this past year at Alabama. Yeah, Devontae Smith got the target share, got the numbers, and obviously after he went down, won the Heisman. But Jalen Waddell was not guarded well. Like, no, no one got the better of Jalen Waddell. That guy is just that, not, I'm not going to say it's Tyreek Hill, but the closest thing I've seen coming out to a Tyreek Hill in just terms of untouchability. You can't touch the guy. Whether it's in space, whether it's at the line of scrimmage, he just has that. And there are going to be the production concerns. Best year was as a freshman with 848 yards. But it's because he, he barely got to see the field. He had the highest career yards per route in this draft class, 3.57 yards per route. Almost a half yard better than anyone else in the draft class. He was, when he was on the field, he was the single most productive receiver in the draft class. Not even close. And so at that point, that's why he's wide receiver two for us. And you have the con listed as experiences for the same reasons you spoke to. Like, you know, Alabama is a freaking juggernaut with a yeah. ton of receiving it's talent a every single year. situation to not have be seeing the field there it's one of those you know that contextual element that you bring up all the time with dominator rating and that like why did he not break out because there's differences like you brought up who uh the marlon Although 848 kid. yards as a freshman's pretty damn good so yeah yeah that, true yeah. no true but you talk about like how guys you know maybe don't break out later in their careers there's like the marlon williams types where like he's had opportunities but didn't really break out until he was older but then there's other guys where you were just playing behind guys or injuries whatever it may be that kind of limited you so you look at over the past you know two three years um among wide receivers with at least 300 routes run in that span he ranks inside the top five among power five wideouts in yards per route run cd lamb Devonte smith t higgins jalen waddle that's how good you know those guys have been over the past two years do you think a couple interesting notes with waddle one he is old so he's true junior but he's only 14 days younger than or 11 days younger than Devonte smith or something like that so he is 22 already that's you know not quite calvin ridley-esque but on that spectrum of an older player for his age or for yikes, first grade um and the reason i fell in love with him is because i saw a hit of him from high school playing db and like if a, if a guy is that physical with with uh playing defensive back at the high school level that he was i'm gonna i'm gonna take a bet on that guy Let's jump to everyone's wide receiver one in hmm. January, and now everyone's wide receiver two or wide receiver three here in March. Devontae Smith of Alabama, the first Heisman winner at the position since Desmond Howard, a very talented receiver in his own right, a guy that's ranked inside the what top eight on PFF's draft board right there at eight. Very, very good. Not as different or as rare as what Chase or what Waddle brings to the table, but a very talented receiver, very pro-ready, similar to Rashad Bateman in that way, and a guy that I think every time you turn on the tape, you find another positive in his game. Like, exactly. oh man, he can do. He's really good after the catch. Oh wow, he's really good at press. He's really the ball skills, the catching, all these different things. Like I feel like every time I turned on Devonte Smith's tape, I came away liking another part of his game, and I think that really does speak to like his completeness and why despite not having Jalen Waddle twitch or Jalen Waddle speed or Jamar Chase physicality is a top eight receiver or top eight player in this draft yeah so the pros there's a lot of pros picking his biggest pro is difficult he doesn't really have a calling card because he does everything well but he does and he doesn't he has one con is the thing he has that one con and it's the size the musculature how will he translate to the NFL? There musculature. are musculature. Musculature. I like that. Did your dad teach you that? 
I mean, it's just a word that you learn. I don't, my dad. Is this, this is just a word that you learn. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> but okay. You, you lost my train of thought there. So pros go on for days. He is as NFL ready, like as you'll see coming out, as polished as you'll see coming out of the college ranks. 6.65 yards per route against man coverage last year. That was not the highest in the nation. We'll get to the guy who was the highest in the nation last year, but the highest in the Power Five. And just like when, and as, some of that's because when Mac Jones saw man coverage, he's like, oh, I know Devontae Smith's going to get open. He had like a 40% target share when it was facing man coverage. But also a lot of that is the dude just gets open. I mean, you saw what he did to Sean Wade. Looked like, gave Sean Wade a day three grade in that game, just the way he turned him inside out. So, again, I, I don't want to poke too many holes in him. The one thing I will note, though, and this is why we say, hey, the fact that he's skinny could actually be a concern, could actually show up at the NFL level. It's just there's only been two guys drafted since 2000 that are six foot tall or taller and 180 pounds or lighter. Devontae Smith, 6'1", 175. Snoop Minnis and Paul Richardson. You don't have a big track record to go off of for guys that look like Devontae Smith. That is why teams will, or that's why, you know, it's a worry, whereas Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddell, their cons or their worries are not nearly as impactful in my opinion. If you're buying into Devontae Smith as a top 10 player in this class or a top five player in this class, and we are, you're buying into the fact or the idea that he is an outlier. You know, he's an outlier prospect in that he can have this musculature and still be very successful in the NFL, like some of other, you know, some of the other receivers in the past that have done it, like Torrey Hole, or no, not Torrey Hole, Isaac Bruce, Marvin Harrison, these thinner, taller guys, similar frames to Devontae Smith, that have had a ton of NFL success due to route running ball skills and those things. You are banking on Devontae Smith being an outlier. And I think everything he's done in college in the SEC has proven that yeah. you should push chips in that direction. Yeah. You should definitely consider him an outlier and and bank on him being that good in the NFL, or at least have that in his range of outcomes and not as slim of a probability. Uh, jumping now to, I think PFF is really high in Rashad Bateman. When you look at the Minnesota wide receiver, when you look at some of the consensus boards or um, Benjamin Robinson's you know grindingthemocks.com where you see expected draft position, Rashad Bateman is a lot higher than where his current expected draft position is. I still think you see Rashad Bateman falling outside of the first round a lot more than we probably would. But right now, wide receiver four, one of the most productive receivers over the past two years, and he's done it. You know, I talked to him recently. I, I tweeted this out. He's done it like he obviously opted out of the 2020 season and then got COVID, lost 10 pounds, battled it for one and a half weeks and then ended up coming back and still playing this season with Minnesota to do that, come back and still be successful this past year. Guys got some grit to him as well. Yeah. I'm, I'm just a big fan. I think, and we'll get to this a little later when we talk about Terrace Marshall, who I'm all in on his first rounder. Now he, he can do anything. There's no, I think there's a lot of value in having a guy who's, not limited role-wise. He can go play a slot. He can go play outside. He can take a jet sweep if you really want him to. Like He can do anything you want at the wide receiver position. So as an offense coordinator, when he's on the field, you don't have to say, oh, he, he, can't, he can't run this role. You have flexibility in your wide receiving core, and I think that's very valuable. And here I have his biggest pro, his release package. I, I think it might be the best of any wide receiver in this class, maybe him and Devontae Smith, like a 1A, 1B situation, and he just he gets off the line really well. He's just very gifted. And when he said, 
you know, oh, he watches Keenan Allen. It's like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That, that's what you see on tape. Khan is still speed. I, I still don't think he's a 4-3-9 guy. I think he's a mid-4-5s guy is what it looked like on tape, even in his best year back in 2019 when he had the highest yards per route run of any X wide receiver, any outside wide receiver. Still, like, didn't see him get on top of a guy and then get away from a guy. It was still kind of, he could stack a guy well because of his size, because he has good enough speed and twitch. But I still think he's not a run away from a corner kind of guy. But again, you don't need to be. Devontae Adams run a four five nine coming out. Now he says he's faster now, but you don't need to necessarily have that in your game when you have that other stuff that he has to be productive on the football field. So that's how I feel about Rashad Bateman. Very good. So I think we bring up athleticism a ton, you know, with the wide receiver position. It's obviously important to have that twitch, that speed, size, all that stuff. But I think talking to Nate Tice a little bit on Twitter, who did the wide receiver scouting for Bleach Report, and also talking to former some, Wisconsin quarterback, former Wisconsin quarterback, also talking to some other evaluators, I do think that playing the wide receiver position well has taken a backseat to some of this. Is when you see like a Henry Ruggs come off the board first, and when you see some of these guys like really valued for their speed and their dynamism. But like Rashad Bateman. Like his biggest strength, you have release package, which is all kind of tied into like being a very talented receiver at the like small nuances you need to have yeah. to be productive. And it's like why he gets the Michael Thomas, Keenan Allen, Stefan Dick. Like he gets these comps because he's very efficient with his feet. His releases are not super jittery and like misstep. Like he is good at a very technical position that for whatever reason, I think some have forgotten that is so technical, not so athleticism and speed. Driven. And I, th- I think that's why that's the sort of theory behind. Um, dominator rating and being good at a young age at that position because it's like are you good when you're not the physical specimen among you know when you're not the man among boys are you do you have that innate skill that it takes for the wide receiver position in terms of tracking balls like your shiftiness your releases being able to you know stop start the things that it takes to be a good wide receiver do you have that innate skill because then they'll show up earlier on when you're not maybe as physically developed as the guys you're going up against. All right, let's jump to Elijah Moore, slot receiver out of Ole Miss that has really grown on me as the offseason has progressed. Talking to him, watching more of his tape, and considering him as a very talented, polished slot type in the NFL, a guy that can win early in his NFL career with what he already brings to the table, even though he maybe isn't like in the same tier as some of those outside receivers that we just spoke to. But Elijah Moore, Ole Miss receiver, give me his pro and his con. Yeah, so to clarify, on day one here and day two, we're going to be going through, these are the how we rank them. So this is wide receiver five on our board right now. Bateman was four. Elijah Moore, five. Biggest pro is his toughness. At his size, 5'11", 185. He sticks his nose in it. He would have been a guy who he used to talk about a lot more when – Team defenses could actually, safeties could actually light you up over the middle about a guy, you know, not alligator arming it. Uh, being able to go over the middle was a skill that was actually coveted and talked about a lot. Elijah Moore, go over the middle. He'll take a hit and keep going. He went 22 of 39 in his career on contested catches. Now, the size is an issue. The role is an issue. That's probably his biggest con. 5'11", 185. It's not, not a lot of you know, true number ones that look like him from that size. Is he going to only be a slot guy at the NFL level? Maybe, but I think he's that good and that safe and is going to be a guy who's going to gain the trust of his quarterback early on because of how reliable he is that I think he sees the field and is productive you know, from day one in the NFL. That's why he's wide receiver five on my board. 
you know, your wide receiver six is like a, a lot different, you know, not the opposite of safe in some ways, but like just the ceiling of yes. what the hell this guy could be if we see more of it. And it's Rondell Moore, the Purdue wide receiver you have listed here is his biggest pro. And it's, it's obvious. I think it's everyone's biggest pro dynamism. This guy was dynamite in 2018 when he, you know, with Purdue as a true freshman going against guys like Sean Wade and other really talented corners at 18 years old did things that really we really haven't seen at the college football level from a true freshman since. And I do think that two grade one hamstring injuries over the past two years that have limited his ability to see the field. It's also limited grade, his development. It's the worst one, right? Yeah. Grade three would be the best one. Wait. What are you saying? Worst one in terms of... Grade one's as bad as it gets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Grade okay. one's as bad as it doesn't get higher. It's not worse. Okay. Well, shit. Two grade one hamstring injuries over the past two years that have obviously... Dad's like looking at me like, what if fucking idiot dude your dad's a doctor your brother's a doctor your brother's kids like already in med school i think what four years old um but i do think that you know he has really battled injuries and i think it's a big a big reason why he's he's knocked here and also i think you have listed as the con which i think i agree with as well as the simplistic role he's played over the past three years yeah you look at his heat map and so we have in the draft guide if you go go get a draft guide but if you have if you have the draft guide his heat map for the routes he ran and where he would run on the football field it's a joke it is within five to eight yards of the line of scrimmage between uh, the hash marks, basically. He's just running slants and screens. His target share was, or target distribution distribution was just not, no one does that in the NFL. You can't, that's not a role that exists in the NFL, but they did it because he was a glorified almost running back in their skin. They just wanted to give him the ball because he's that dynamism. He's that dynamite, as you like to say. Um, but the biggest reason I'm on board, and it's the 2019 tape is what I would suggest if you want to watch, see why we love Rondell Moore so much. And it's him playing through contact, and he did a little more downfield stuff that year. But when guys get their hands on him, he doesn't slow down. A lot of speed wide receivers, and we'll talk about some of them, and there's a lot in this draft class, a lot of speed wide receivers don't run four threes when a guy has their left hand on him. I think it's what's the Richard Sherman quote? It's like, Everyone runs as fast as I run when I have my hand on you mm-hmm. or something like that. That's very true at the NFL level. A lot of guys can't play through contact. Rondale Moore is a different breed because he is strong as hell. He's about as strong an undersized wide receiver as I've seen. That's why the Steve Smith comp. Steve Smith was like that. Steve Smith could not, you weren't going to, with one hand on Steve Smith, slow him down. He was going to run right through you. That's how. That's what Rondale Moore's tape looks like. That's why a lot of guys, I think, fail from college to the NFL is they just can't, don't have that strength to play through contact. Rondale Moore does. And so I wrote down here, he's like a more compact version of Jamar Chase. That's how I feel about him. It's like bottled up. Like he yeah. is a cinder block, man. He's like been squatting 600 pounds since he was like 17 years old. He's yeah. a weight room freak, dynamic, all those things. Like you're just banking on him, staying healthy, and actually producing in a less gadget role and i think you know you talk to him about why he went to purdue and it's because they were going to get him the ball and and they got him the ball a lot 48 <laughs> screens as a true freshman yep. but like also i think some of that it didn't limit his development but i think it it limited your ability to evaluate and you talk about i mean one of the first things you said this year what you learned from your 2020 evaluations is that just because you haven't seen it doesn't mean he can't do it yeah and we haven't seen it from rondell moore him run like a legit nfl route tree but we're banking on that he can do it, given what we know about him as an athlete and his dynamic ability. Yeah, it's like in his role, if I played his role as a true freshman at Purdue, I get 75, 80 catches just because. Okay, yeah, yeah. I thought you were going to say yard, a yard no, figure, and I was like, like I'm not ready. For I'm this. catching a lot of balls yeah, because yeah. a lot of them, 
are behind, a lot of them behind the line yeah, of scrimmage. Like he was getting a lot of pop. Like literally passes. nothing that it takes to make those catches. So all right, last one here on day one, and it's another guy that I've talked to, and he has a fantastic Waffle House order. Terrace Marshall Jr. of LSU in that 2019 season, the famed 2019 season with Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, Joe Burrow, Clyde Edwards Hilaire, and obviously Terrace Marshall Jr. They had a hundred dollar season bet between him, Jefferson, and Chase about whoever had the most touchdowns at the end of the season have to pay up they'd have the two other receivers had to pay up a hundred dollars at waffle house and his waffle house order is pork chop dinner grits with cheese eggs with cheese and waffles and he said he would just go to town on it i mean i respect it that's a great waffle house they're order. lucky that tyler shelvin didn't get involved in that <laughs> waffle house it could have it could have gotten expensive hundred dollars doesn't go that far with tyler <laughs> yeah. shelvin at waffle house that's an that's appetizer sure. for him but, i think something i can't wait impress from the interview before you talk about you know his on-field ability and those things is that like he talked about his commitment to his craft from 2019 to 2020, even though like his statistics in 2019 were absurd. Like he had a very, very good year in 2019. He talked about that transition from outside to the slot because at LSU and that offense, the top receiver plays in the slot, the guy who gets the most targets. It's why, you know, Justin Jefferson was asked to play in the slot. And when he was asked to, they said, we're just going to give you the most targets. We're going to feed you the football. And you saw that in LSU's offense for Terrace Marshall. The biggest thing he wanted to improve on it is the same thing you have listed as his con. He mentions, I, I just got to play smaller. I got to get in and out of my breaks quicker. I can't afford to just lean on my size and be this big body on the outside yeah. like I can when I play outside receiver. So I think this last season really helped his development, and you saw some of the new, more nuance in his game. And I saw, I think you saw him you know, significantly improve. Yeah, and that's the, so he's the biggest thing with him is he's six foot three, 200 pounds, and a legit athlete. Like, I, watching him, I thought if he can get up to 215, if he can add that muscle to his frame, and that's the other thing. He's only 20 years old still. He's a young guy still. If he can continue to add muscle. He could be in the Julio Jones sort of category of how freaky he is as an athlete. Like, that is, I, it would not surprise me. Like, if he ran the Rashad Bateman 439, I'd be like, okay, yeah, that's kind of what it looks like on tape. He runs away from guys on his tape. Not a lot of six foot three, two hundred pound guys can move the way he does, and at his age, so I'm all in on him as a first rounder now. At this point, I just think the level of physical tools too much, and and you have good ball skills. Like he he can he can sink for a bigger dude. Doesn't always do it. Like I said, it has to get more consistent in it, but he has that ability. I just think it's only a matter of time before that kind of all comes together with what he brings to the table. And you have time. I mean, he's 20 years old. Yeah. You have that time and you have to bank on him just getting better in the NFL. And and, I think he has that. I think he has that mindset too. And he's another guy played outside in 2019, played in the slot this year. You're not going to have to carve out a role for him. He's going to be wherever you want, wherever you want him to line up. He's going to be able to execute. And again, that has, and that's some of that traditional value. scout logic that Bucky Brooks talked about. And that like, you don't want to carve out a role for your first round player. Like yes. you want a guy that can come in and play in your specifically at the wide receiver position. Yes, the guy that can block, a guy that can come in and play outside or play in the slot. You don't want like that's why Rondell Moore. I don't think goes day one. Mm-hmm. Like I don't think Rondell Moore ultimately is taken off the board in, on day one because teams are still not going to be fully aware where they're going to play him in the NFL. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. But I like Terrace Marshall as well. But that's why we'll kick to day two now. This guy is on day two for me because I just. The more I watch, I'm not sure he's – I don't want to say he's anything but a gadget player, but I think there's going to have to be a specific role in your offense that he goes to. That's Kadarius Tony, Florida wide receiver. And I think in that role, it can be very successful. But like you said, do you want to carve out a role for your first-round pick? It's almost – he's almost a luxury. I see him almost in the same tier as a Travis Etienne, where they're just weapons with the ball in their hands. 
but like are you going to feature them are they going to it's third and eight are you throwing are you throwing to him you know are you telling him to go run the go route versus your number one corner and that's the guy you're going to target i don't know i don't i'm not sure he's that reliable uh in that regard now he only had three drops on 123 catchable passes throughout his career but he's not he's not running a lot of you know, he's not having to play through contact he only had 10 contested catches his entire career or 10 contested catch opportunities his entire florida career just running a different role and when you lack kind of the polish as a wide receiver now physically i think he can get there as a route runner but is still so rough around the edges that He's just kind of a top of day two kind of guy for me. Are there examples of receivers like similar to Kadarius Tony, where you see like this role for them and them thrive in it with their, you know, their athletic ability and those things that gain polish in the NFL? I'm trying to think of examples of like receivers that have legitimately gotten more polished in the NFL and improved as mm. receivers. I don't know. Like I think all those guys Fingers that come cross for Lavisca Chenault. That's yeah, funny. true, very true. Lavisca Chenault is a great example though of a guy that like came in and like you're going to have to carve out a role for him because he's not a great route runner yet, yeah. but he could gain polish. Yeah. And still, I do think. In in 2020, unless you see significant 2021 significant improvement from Lavisca Chenault, he's going to get used very similar as last year. That's like it. I expect him to be in the backfield a lot. I expect him to play the Curtis Samuel role in Urban Meyer's offense with Trevor Lawrence. Like, I don't expect them to ask him to be a traditional type. So I do think polish may be an underrated thing to consider when you're looking at wide receiver prospects. But Tony, the difference between like we're higher on Chenault because Chenault was six two, two twenty five, and could. If you wanted to play him at running back, you could have. You know, if you wanted to, and you think that the guy, and you watched him play through contact at Colorado, and it was actually good. So yeah. that's why we we're higher on Chenault, even though he was a similarly limited player coming out. His ball skills too were like awesome. got underrated yeah. in the class. If you are listening yeah, on the pod, uh, on audio or watching on YouTube, and you hear the drilling in the background, I want to mm-hmm. apologize for it. You know, this office is under a constant state of construction, so hopefully it's not too overbearing. Um, something I wanted to bring up before we got to Diami Brown, which is Diami. It's not Diami. I've talked to both UNC backs and Diami Brown himself. It's fucking Diami. Oh, no, Diami. It's Diami Brown, not Diami Brown. So moving forward. But before we talk about Diami, Patty Fisher, did you see that he ran? You know, we talk about Patty Fisher sometimes on this yeah. podcast, a guy that, like, just can't move, like, what you need for a linebacker position. He ran 4.92 at his pro day. Ooh. That's, like, meaning, like, at the combine, he's running in the fives. Yeah. I mean... Yeah. I thought you were going to say like a fast time. No, I but I, I, I was, remember you talked about the pro day times the other day. It's like the only time I'm starting to like be a little bit concerned is when it's bad. When it's bad. That, that's, that's bad. That's bad. Man, poor Patty Fisher. Because that was a guy like, I feel like three or four years ago, people were hyping up as a first rounder. Like people well, he, loved him. I think his sophomore year, true sophomore, he led college football in like stops. But also. He's also got a great name. That has to be a factor. Yeah. I'm sorry. We Patty don't Fisher. name scout here at PFF, but Patty Fisher. Just looks good on a social graphic. St. Patrick's Day is next Wednesday. He's probably that's oh St. Patty's running. He's going to run a five second forty to the bars. I hope. <laughs> um, all right, let's get to um, Diami Brown here uh, before before you get into his pros and cons. We talked a ton because you have the con listed about his route tree. And we talked a ton about and on the podcast on the podcast episode. I I interviewed him on. We talked a ton about how North Carolina just didn't ask him to run a lot of routes, and he was very candid. And that, yeah, I ran like two or three routes. Like they asked me to go deep every single play. He has the highest average depth of reception in each of the past two years among any receiver in college football. They asked me to go deep, and I won deep. 
is what he, pretty much what he told me. And Sam Howell loved it. Like, everyone loved it. Like, Deami Brown was a vertical threat and legitimately won down the football field. And when we talked to Connor Rogers later, he mentions where he can't really see it with Deami Brown because maybe he doesn't see that, like, deep vertical speed you normally see mm-hmm. with deep threats. But he knows how to stack and win a vertical route tree. And when we talk about the valuable routes in the NFL, maybe he's not this, like, 120, 130 target guy, but a guy that can win down the field like Deami Brown definitely has value. Yes, I agree. And... I think the fact that he does it without the speed is what I'm kind of that gets me going more. Yeah, actually, the fact that he maybe is a four or five flat guy, but still is winning at that level down the football field. That's I think those are the guy that still because you got you have to have something else. Then you have to be doing something else correct to then win down the football field. You have to be doing the little things right. And I think he does on his tape. The more you watch him, the route tree is a concern. Doesn't go underneath a lot, but I think he's almost underrated after the catch. So he had only 23 broken tackles his entire college career on 123 catches. That doesn't sound great, but it's also because every single play he's catching like a go ball with a guy draped on him. Not a great opportunity to break tackles. On his 63 catches that were within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage, he broke 19 tackles. For comparison, Tutu Atwell, this dynamic yak guy, 87 career catches, only 11 broken tackles after the catch on the underneath. Like, he is dynamic with the ball in his hands. They just didn't put the ball in his hands that much. So, like, giving him those easy targets, those easy screens, slants, whatnot. And when you watch him do those and you isolate those plays, really, really impressive. Uh, he's and another guy that he's already done it on the outside at the college level. I think he's he may be one of the more underrated wide receivers in this draft class. A few more receivers here before we jump to day three. Kay Johnson, South Dakota State, Monroe St. Brown of USC, Jalen Darden, North Texas, and then Tylen Wallace of Oklahoma State. Starting with Kay Johnson, he's kind of becoming a your guy. My guy. You like Kay Johnson. It, it, what he did at the Senior Bowl was awesome. He was, in my opinion, the most impressive guy at the Senior Bowl. It, he had the highest grade in the one-on-ones. He played through contact exceptionally well for a smaller guy. And the biggest thing with him is just the way he gets off the line of scrimmage was noticeably different than any other guys there. I don't know what he's going to run, but I think getting off the line of scrimmage is a very valuable trade. Guys who just can burst off the line, puts DBs in bad positions. Now, he may be a slot only. That may be where he is, but I thought he did well on the outside when given that opportunity in those senior bowl reps. And you go flip on the tape and at South Dakota State, really comical almost. No one has, no one can touch him, but ridiculously productive multiple years i'm a big fan and there was one rep that really stands out to me at senior bowl he got like chucked from an off safety like like five yards down the field just gets hit he can't avoid him he has to go outside release can't avoid him gets hit but then still stacks him like still gets on top of this guy and i think that you don't see from a lot of like i said slot only type of wide receivers i'm all in on this guy maybe maybe he is my guy for the draft class I mean, having him ahead of guys that a lot of people are hyping up right now, like Amon Ross St. Brown, Darden, Wallace, that is planting your flag, brother, and I respect it. He also had that cheeky one-hander against Darren Hall of San Diego State. That that was nice. Um, Let's get to now Amon Ross St. Brown, a guy that I remember writing a tweet and and setting his tape in the offseason before this year about, man, you know, you see some of it. He worked a ton in the slot in USC. You see some of the things that you like. Maybe if he moves to the outside and you see more of it, you can get more on board. And he kicked to the outside this year, and you just didn't really see it. Like You didn't see... The yeah. game-changing separation that you wanted to see from Amon, Amon Ross St. Didn't Brown. Didn't pop the top. Didn't the pop D. the top. Didn't pop the top. And I think that he had that. Uh, they had that game where he had like five touchdowns in the first half or something, and there's some reasons to get excited about his box score production. But I did not see on tape where you looked at 
you were watching a game-changing receiver. Yeah, so I loved his freshman year tape. Sophomore year, I thought, you know, what could this guy become? But he went from 2.65 yards per hour as a true freshman. 1.94 as a sophomore. 1.85 this past year. That's not where you want to be going. There's enough evidence. And you got Keaton Slovis throwing you the ball. Number one pick in 2022, according to Anthony Tresh. (laughs) I bring that up every single time. Um, It should have been, you got, and and this was the year he was playing the outside. This is the year he was the guy. That's just a worrisome trajectory. And, And you do worry about a guy like that being capped out because he was so physically developed at a young age. You know, he was lifting since he was, three or something out the wounds yeah, like it was, probably was is so. there is there a take to be had is there enough evidence to be had that the saint brown brothers amon ra equanimius and osiris, osiris peaked at like 14 <laughs> like i mean fuck dude like because i think that's been the mo with a lot of these guys like man he could be great but he just hasn't gotten any better and i think that again that's uh, you talk about trajectory you don't like to see that that's what i worry about now i think he's a better prospect than equanimius and he's just a equanimous is stiffer. I think he's a little more loose. Can run a better. And I have here his full route trees. Like he can run routes better. He's just not explosive. He it's can pre- run routes better. I like that. I really do. Thank you. Um, that could be a graphic. I know. <laughs> social graphic. All right. Let's play, get like, to um, Jalen Darden. Who North Texas. Everybody's everybody wants him in the fourth round. Every single. I, person. I think he goes by JD. Everyone their mother wants him. Um, JD. Okay. Goes by JD. Um, he also, I think, played quarterback in high school and didn't really start to play a ton of wide receiver until he got to college. And um, maybe he's, he's been a big awesome. Scrubs fan. Could he be a big Scrubs fan. But uh, Jalen Darden, I, I mean, of all the uh, slot types, you saw him run a pretty, a pretty diverse route tree at North Texas, in my opinion. You see, you look at his route yeah. distribution, the draft guide. You see him slot verticals and these different things. I think he's done a lot. He even worked on the outside a little bit. Like I think Jalen Darden in his career at North Texas, has really progressed every year. You talk about a trajectory. I think you have seen Jalen Darden do a lot of things well and improve consistently each year. I'm, I'm really impressed yeah. with his game. As a day two value, like you have him behind guys like Amon Ross St. Brown, Kate Johnson. Like I started to get interested definitely on like back end of the second round, top of the third, with Jalen Darden being like a legitimate value. Yeah, so his biggest pro is obviously just athleticism, any, any of it. He has – he is – moving different than everyone he was playing against on tape there at North Texas. And you talk about his trajectory. He's, he's gained 20, he's tiny still, 174 pounds. He's gained 20 pounds since he got to North Texas. He ha, he showed up tinier. Uh, he's averaged set, he was, so I hinted at it earlier, he led the nation this last year in yards per route against man coverage. 7.17 yards per route against man coverage. Basically, if you saw man coverage, no one was going to, they knew no one was going to guard JD. And JD proved that correct. Now, Ball skill is a little bit of an issue. Not going to have the biggest catch rate as he is. Slot only guy. But man's is dynamic. I'm a fan. I'm, I, I think and guy, I think he goes to a bigger school if like his high school background wasn't kind of somewhat convoluted. Obviously played quarterback as a junior, threw for a rush for 869 yards and 10 touchdowns and threw for 637 and five scores. And then as a senior battled injuries, like didn't like didn't get to play a ton. So I think he was limited. Also feels tight. Like, He's also tiny, like five foot nine, one seventy four. Like he's a small player. But well, imagine, imagine playing that guy. Imagine playing Jalen Darden and like the quicks that he brings to the table. And he's the quarterback. And he looks like a twelve year old probably because he was one hundred fifty pounds, like, like baby Kyler Murray. In some ways, yeah. I mean that had to have been pretty crazy <laughs> in high school. Uh, next guy here, Tylen Wallace. Uh, I think his recruiting background is pretty interesting. I keep on bringing the backgrounds with these guys, especially ones that I've talked to. But Tylen Wallace and his twin brother Trayson Wallace. 
made it very apparent to anyone who was recruiting them that they were a package deal. If you're offering me, you're offering my brother. And his brother, unfortunately, had to step away from football due to like multiple, I think ACL injuries is what he told me. And then Tylen Wallace is obviously like yeah. a big motivation for him to continue to play the game. It's like, hey, my brother doesn't have this opportunity. Every snap I get is something my brother doesn't have. And I think he, you know, his, his why, his motivation is one of those ones that really impressed me. And I think the explosiveness of the line of scrimmage is what you have listed as the pro. And he said, I think in that interview about like the feedback he gets from teams is he can just get off the freaking line. And yeah. um, seeing that kind of from what you've seen on his tape and what other people are providing feedback on as well. Like Tylen Wallace, man, he's another guy on when you're looking at Darden and Wallace, would you rather have Kadarius Tony who maybe sneaks in the back end of the first round or a guy like Darden Wallace, maybe in the back end of day two, like that's where I start to get excited about some of the value here. Yeah. And the explosiveness and the way he attacks the football for a you know, not a not a massive wide receiver at six foot one ninety. He had forty four career contested catches. That's a ton, and he's right up there in terms of career production. Even though he has gotten been on the field a lot more than a guy like Jalen Wallace, three point one three yards per route for his career, and that's fourth in the draft class behind Jamar, also and Devontae Smith. So production not a concern. Athleticism not a concern. I just can't get out of my head when he went up against Trey Brown, Oklahoma. Just Trey Brown beat him up. And he is on the smaller side for the position. I'm not sure the contact aspect of the game along his routes was an issue for me. And then, you know, he went to senior ball, and I don't think he was he didn't stand out. And that's a situation where if you're going to go high on a guy, they should stand out at the yeah. senior ball for sure. I, what, I, what I find interesting on the more positive side of that report is that you have explosiveness obviously listed at his pro. But I was really surprised when I was going through the draft guide that it wasn't ball skills because I do feel like his ball skills specifically in contested catch situations are very good like he attacks the ball well like you said and and comes down with everything so I think that speaks to just the how explosive this dude is um now jumping to day three yeah so day three I kind of wanted to throw there's a there's a shit ton of guys like this is wide receiver class is absurd uh, the amount of guys that are in the draft guy is incredible I kind of want to throw them in buckets and then talk about some of maybe my favorites in those buckets. I like the buckets you have outlined here. These are going to be fun. All so right. we'll start with the contested catch monsters. The big guys, the 215 plusers who maybe they don't separate the best. Maybe they're not going to always get open, but you're, you know, quote unquote red zone guys that will make plays through contact. And I don't think anyone made plays through contact better than Sage Schrott, the Wake Forest wide receiver. We've talked about him a ton. I think he led the uh, college football and contested catches back in 2019, even though he only played like nine games or 10 games. Uh, then opted out this past year. <laughs> the funny thing is I thought his brother was faster than him, uh, Chaz. But then Chaz runs a 4.72 at his pro day. So that might not be great for Sage in terms of what he's going to run. But he is, he is slow, and he is very slow. And it showed a ton when he went to the Senior Bowl this past year uh, after, like I said, opting out of 2020. Is he's an underneath guy, maybe a slot, some a big slot in some offenses. That's just why he drops at day three for us. Uh, then in this bucket, you also have Seth Williams, the Auburn wide receiver. I just can't, again, another guy, you can't get out of your head the fact that he just got cooked by every single NFL caliber corner he went up against. They just ate his lunch. He could not get off press man coverage. Physically very gifted, hung out to dry by Bo Nix a shit ton in terms of just, I think he had the lowest on-target rate of any wide receiver in college football this past year. But I'm just, that's not, the, this, isn't, this isn't the type of wide receiver we go for at PFF, the non-separators. You got Nico Collins from Michigan in this bucket as well. Jamon Osmond from Texas A&M, who opted out this past year, who's physically a horse 
no speed. Another guy with just not speed. Nico Collins actually has some speed, but I don't think he's particularly sudden or is a good route runner, though he looked a little bit better at the Senior Bowl. Marlon Williams from UCF, a guy who looks more like a running back. Maybe you should probably switch to running back uh, there is – in my opinion, he's not he's a UDFA type grade for us. And then Jonathan Adams, a guy who I think people are going to fall in love with, the Arkansas State guy, Jonathan Adams, because I don't know have his testing numbers offhand right now, but they were insane at whatever combine, Exos combine or whatever, 40-plus inch vertical. The dude is explosive as hell. But I showed you the route earlier today. This dig route. A dig route. I think he did a five-point turn to make a dig route. It was ugly. He's he is. It looked like a bus turning. Yeah, he is upright and stiff. And, and these are the guys you worry about because, yeah, the go route and the and the, him jumping over and he made the catch of the year in my opinion against K State. He had a, the abs, absurd. It looked like it was basically a dead ringer for the Odell Beckham catch against K State this year. He has fairly good ball skills, is explosive, but he is like the worries about DK Metcalf amplify them, and that is what you have with Jonathan Adams that just if a guy can't run certain routes you can't put him on the football field at the NFL level and he's if he can't get off press coverage because he's not sudden enough and he all he has is physicality I don't think you're going to see the field at the NFL level that's what I just worry about with Jonathan Adams interesting sixth seventh round type of prospect in my opinion I mean I do feel like you you mentioned this but it's I think it's important to restate is that PFF is never going to be all that high on the contested catch guys and when you have like these bigger guys that maybe are productive or have a lot of highlight reel tape because they're like Mm -hmm. making like big monstrous catches through traffic if you're if you're stiff and you're not a key separator it's gonna be hard to kind of move up PFF's board at the wide receiver position I want to go look at the leaders in yards in the NFL catches how many are pure? How many are Kelvin Benjamins? You know, how many? How many are none? In, <laughs> okay, but like, how many are kind of in that mold where they don't have? I, I'm trying to think. Like the closest thing to that is maybe, maybe Mike Evans is the closest thing to that purely, not necessarily going to separate. And Mike Evans is way on the outlier. Was he six five, two thirty four yeah, coming out? Or he, he was closer to a tight end size than like you have to be ridiculously good in those situations to be that guy like even deandre hopkins one of the best contested catch wide receivers also gets open at an incredibly high level like all the other guys who are you know sort of alan robinson maybe michael thomas throw them in that those guys all get open yeah kenny got those guys all still have that shiftiness and suddenness to still get open they're not purely just oh this guy's so physically dominant sort of thing all right, I want to jump to the all-around tier here. You have Trey yep. Walker of San Jose State, KJ Stefferson of Notre Dame, Cornell Powell of Clemson, Antonio Nunn, kind of Rogers guy, Rogers boy out of Buffalo. Uh, you have Josh Palmer of Tennessee, one of the few guys that actually beat Patrick Sertan beat down Sertan. the football field. Dax Milne of BYU, and then Austin Watkins of UAB. Start with Trey Walker for me, a guy that yes. you've liked for a couple of years now. Trey Walker, my guy. Uh, yeah, he's one of my favorite sort of day three call him a sleeper or whatever you want in this draft class because he's very sudden. And I think you saw it on his tape in 2019 a lot when he was featured more and they had a quarterback that could hit him down the football field and Josh Love. Um, he's only 5'11", 185, not super big, not your kind of ideal, but he played outside receiver for them. And there is that innate said that suddenness and that stop start and the ability to run a hitch route and have it be clean that some guys can't some guys can't sink like that trey walker can now 
it wasn't great in contest situations. That size is going to show up. But if you're on day three, that's a, I'd take the chance on a guy like that. Talk to me more about Antonio Nunn, Connor Rogers guy. Oh, Antonio, Antonio Nunn. He is a, he has that, that's why I put him in this all around here, and that he has that sort of suddenness and compact build that can win on the outside still. In my, when I was watching this tape, I wrote down poor man's Diami Brown, Diami Brown, Diami. excuse me, in terms of the way he plays the game and that he gets physical with the guy across from when he's, you know, shoulder to shoulder, he's the guy leaning in to the cornerback instead of the cornerback leaning into him, which you need to have when, if you're going to win at the NFL level, uh, and also has similar concerns in that he was not running a lot of complex routes there in the Buffalo offense. They were a run first team and he was going vertical uh, or he was running, you know, screens on super underneath stuff. So Antonio Nunn, I, I can get on board with Connor Rogers. I don't know where he especially has him, but as a day three guy, I am a fan of his uh, in terms of just like a project, probably fifth round or so. You've talked a lot about KJ Stefferson in the past, a guy that like could Monster. be really good monster. Like what? Seven years ago, wherever it was. Okay. <laughs> like it actually like, was. That is great. So he came in 2016, same class as Chase Claypool, uh, a class behind Miles Boykin. He started over Miles Boykin. Miles Boykin was a sophomore. He starts over Miles Boykin, who's now, you know, went and on, went on to be a third round wide receiver. Same class as Chase Claypool, started over Chase Claypool for two years. Chase Claypool, obviously, we know what he is now. Um, was by all accounts for everyone I've talked to in that program. They said he was the most talented wide receiver there. It was a three-star recruit comes in and they're just like blown away by who this guy is. 40 inch vertical, 11 foot broad jump, 448 laser time 40. Whether his, and he's going to actually be at the, uh, on March 15th, he's going to be at the Troy pro day. Going to actually run some like official times. Everyone raves about this kid, but then had marijuana arrests and like you get arrested at Notre Dame basically like you're off the team there's like no they don't guys no don't tolerance. come back yeah so doesn't really catch on goes to jackson state was gonna play this year decides just to prep for the draft so he hasn't played since 2017 i believe so three straight years without football you don't know what that guy's gonna be but if he's still in that sort of shape with what he put on tape as a freshman and sophomore yeah i'm taking that chance fifth rounders don't hit you know fifth round hit rates are low I'm taking that chance around fifth, sixth, seventh for sure. All right, let's jump to the speedsters tier here. Tutu Atwell, Louisville, Dwayne Eskridge, Western Michigan, old Dwayne Eskridge, by the way, 24 years old. Tamorian Terry of Florida State, your guy, Simi Fajoko of Stanford. Maybe not your guy, but a hilarious eval because he is just, yeah, I, he's like six foot four <laughs> and runs like a, in the four threes. Like it is a, a very interesting. I said he's the closest like, thing in this class to DK Metcalf. Now, physically. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a lot more that goes into the wide receiver position than just being a physical monster, but he is a physical monster. And then last few guys here, Anthony Schwartz of Auburn, who's been like a track guy, fast guy in the co- in college football for a long time. He's been on the list of like... He's the fastest guy in college Yeah, football. he might be the fastest guy in college football. Marquez Stevenson of Houston. I I really like Marquez Stevenson's game. I like him, you know, after the catch in those things. I, I think Marquez Stevenson's good. And then Emir Smith, Marset of Iowa, who I think just had like an absurd pro day at the House of Athletes. Probably. Where he's, he's like explosive, jumped out of the gym and all of those things. So where do you want to start here? All right. Let's start with Tutu because this is Tutu and Eskridge are probably the two guys we're going to be lowest on compared to where I've seen, I guess, like in mocks and like people's draft boards. Tutu is, 
I, I wrote down here, big Nicole Hardman vibes where there's no, there's no real great role for him that uh, he's not a complete wide receiver. He's fast in a straight line, but he's not going to make a ton of guys miss necessarily after the catch. He's kind of just, just a high level athlete dropped in at wide receiver that there's a lot of high level athletes in the NFL. It takes more than that to win and to be a productive guy. Like I, I don't see Tyreek Hill. I, I don't see Tyler Lockett, the undersized guys who can produce. I don't see that when I watch Tutu Atwell. I just see like he is very much closer to me, in my opinion, Tavon Austin on that spectrum of wide receivers. And obviously Miko Hardman is what I got where ball skills aren't special. Route running's not special. There's a lot more that goes into wide receiver, a skill position than just being an athlete. And so that's why, yeah, he can he can run a deep over. He can run a go route in your offense, un, unfettered from the slot. But what else? What else? And Dwayne Eskridge. Dwayne Eskridge. I just I hate his ball skills. Like I I don't think I think he's going to drop a ton of footballs, and he did in college. Dropped sixteen passes on one hundred thirty eight catchable. Was not terribly productive. Is what twenty four years old already. I I just. And when he does catch, it's like body catches. He's not going to be a contested catch guy. Um, to me, he's like a shorter Marquez Valdez Scantling. And I, I just, I, I, a shorter Marquez Valdez Scantling is definitely not where you want to be. I strongly do not like it drops to that level are just very frustrating. And I, I'm not, that's not, those aren't my type of wide receivers when they're really just like bad like that. What do you like and not like about Marquez Stevenson? Marquez Stevenson, I just wasn't the, he does not play up to his supposed athleticism, in my opinion, until he gets the ball in his hands. Yeah, that's where I feel like he stood out for me is, yes. the, is the yak ability. Like, he's good with the ball in his hands. And, like, he has highlight-level plays as a yak player to where, like, I get interested, especially on the in, in day three where you're looking – not looking for, but can find guys like Marquez Stevenson yeah. and, and, and get positive return on that value. I, I just didn't see – you, like I said, I didn't see high-level athleticism until he gets the ball in his hands, and that's, again, worrisome. If you can't play up to your tested speed, that's always kind of red flag, in my opinion. All right, want to jump to these slot only? And also, Schwartz, just want to touch on Schwartz's straight-up a track guy dropped onto a football field. There's not much he does as a receiver that you can like besides running a straight line. Tamorian Terry is interesting because he has – a big catch radius, good ball skills. He's just so slim still. And he is very fast for a taller wide receiver. I think he's like 6'4", like 195, 200. But he just contact, kicks those guys' asses. And we'll get to a, the tier of we call basketball players here later on where I don't love that tier at the wide receiver position. When your guy is just that tall and that skinny, Every cornerback in the NFL can get their hands on you and just get underneath you. You can't lever out leverage anyone. You're going to be pushed around left and right unless you're Calvin Johnson, like which Calvin Johnson wasn't skinny. If you're tall and skinny, it's just a bad combination for wide receiver in the NFL. All right, let's jump. To, I'll bucket those together here because it's five names. The so slot onlys you have is Clemson's Amari Rogers. Then you have uh, Shai Smith of South Carolina and Daz Newsom of North Carolina. And then the basketball player types: Warren Jackson of Colorado State and T.J. Vasher of Texas Tech. Um, can we start with Amari Rodgers? Yeah, I feel like this there's is some your slander boy. here. There's some slander on I, Amari this, My biggest Amari Rodgers gripe is what's your high, What's your payoff? You have a solid slot receiver who's – I don't think there's any eliteness to his game. He's just like quality across the board. 
What is it? Completeness you, over eliteness? Didn't you fucking coin that phrase? No, I said eliteness over completeness. Oh, that's right. You did so say I went that way. Yeah, yeah. Fair. No, fair. Consistent. But that, that, so that's my, I, I think he's a very, to me, he's, he's, um, he's like a slot Van Jefferson. That's like, I don't think that's a bad comp. I think you have right now in the draft guys a fifth round value. I would take him at back end of the third, fourth round. I think fifth, maybe. I mean, for a guy I think who could be really productive in the slot out of the gate, like I think okay. back end of the third, fourth rounder, I'd feel confident. And Amari Rodgers, what about some of these other slot types? Daz Newsom, I think is interesting having him yes. in this tier because he's also like, he's got some running back vibes to him a little bit. And he played, yeah. I think, some running back in high school. And like a lot of his best work is after the catch and on put- touch passes behind the line of scrimmage. Calling him a slot only, I think, is interesting. Yeah, I mean, that's where he played in North Carolina, and he is another guy, almost gadgety in his usage, but was productive downfield back in 2019 when he ran a little bit more vertical. I just I didn't see a terribly impressive route run. I didn't think he was that fast for – I just don't think he's going to be anything more than a slot. Similar with Shai Smith, who's very skinny still. And, like, he, he ran some nice routes at the Senior Bowl, but, again – when you're really a slot only, you got to bring a lot to the table. Like you got to be always open, yes. ball skills out the roof, yes. yak ability. Because if there's a ton of slot guys in the NFL that exactly. like you know bring all that heat. Yeah, how many you know how many slot only? So guys who are just playing from the slot are going for a G. Cole Beasley. That's like you. You don't have a lot. It's just not a super productive role. You got to be able. That's why I said you got to favor the guys that could do it all that can win. I think Amari Rodgers' yak ability gets a little underrated. He was one of yeah. the better yak players in the, NFL, uh, in, in the NFL, in college football this past year. I think you see him, like, force some missed tackles. That I would I love to flip him to running back, to be honest. I, I think Get be, him in there. Make, uh, push the comp, him out of the backfield. Comp of the draft guide was Ty Montgomery. Yeah, so. that's, that's right. That's right. And then last group here, the basketball players. Warren Jackson, Colorado State, 6'6", 215 or something. Comedic looking on tape, just dunking <laughs> on dudes in, what, the Mountain West? Again, don't talk down skinny. to the Mountain West. Okay. Too skinny and not super explosive. TJ Vaster from Texas Tech. I think he's 6'5", 195. And again, it's, you can you can dunk on college players when you are that size. You cannot. That, that's, that doesn't exist in the NFL. You get pushed around. And I worry about why aren't these guys playing basketball? You know, it, that is the ideal build when you are six, five and skinny and lanky, you probably should be playing basketball. And if you're not, there's probably some coordination or something else lacking there. Those guys should be on the basketball. Court. We did superlatives for the quarterback position on Monday. You didn't have, you don't have superlatives. Oh shit, my superlatives. We'll do them next time. But can I ask, I want to put two questions on the spot. Okay. Most likely receiver to get underdrafted and most likely receiver to get overdrafted in this group. Uh, underdrafted, I will say... Bateman. Yeah, it has to be Bateman. Overdrafted. Whew. That's a fun. That's a fun question. I have my answer. I'll say. Oh God. Tutu Atwell. Ne- okay, yeah, t- Tutu Atwell. Yeah, I like that answer. All right, actually, I got my superlatives here. Best deep threat, Jalen Waddle. Bang. Best route runner, Devonte Smith. Best releases, Rashad Bateman. That's who I went. Best after the catch, Kadarius Tony. Sorry, Rondale. Love you, but Tony's different. Sorry. Dude. Sorry. Um, do people have been making fun of that? So it's so I good. Moved, I moved so to good. Illinois when I was seven from Wisconsin. Wisconsin accent never left. And people always made fun of me for it. You thank should. You. But it's thank you for ridiculous. bringing up my childhood trauma. Uh, best contested catch, Jamar Chase. 
in the best hands, Austin Watkins, who we got, we didn't really touch on there. The UAB kid. He's actually, I'm I'm intrigued. He reminds me a lot of who's now the guy for the Eagles who just broke out this year. Who's Greg Ward? Nope. That have kind of bounced around for a little bit. Went to Old Dominion. Got drafted by the Lions. I'm so bad with names. Oh, I know who you're talking about. Fulgham. Yes. Reminds me of Travis Fulgham. And that, man, he does a lot of things really well. Really good ball skills. Really good hands. Is just beyond not dynamic. Um, just I don't see the ability to get open consistently at the NFL level. But I think it's very, like I said, it has the best hands in the draft class. Get this. One drop on 100 opportunities in his career. And he's not, this dude's not getting pump screens. He had some highlight reel contested catches this past year at UAB. He is winning down. How big is he? He's 6'3", 210. Oh, nice. 6'3", 210 with one drop on 100 catches and some nice contested catch skills. That's intriguing. That guy, can, that guy could see an NFL field, kind of the way Travis Fulgham is. I think these position overviews are like my favorite podcast we do every single year because going deep on each position for an entire podcast, I think you really find out about the class. And we're going to continue to do these for every position in the NFL draft as we kind of lead up. And we also talked to Connor Rogers of Bleach Report about this wide receiver class. Let's go ahead and jump to that. Now joining two foreign drafts is Bleach Report NFL draft analyst Connor Rogers, a close friend. So some people are friend of the pod this is close friend of the podcast he's been on a handful of times great to have you on as we prepare for this draft man absolutely good to join you guys again it's funny before we started this we're saying how like a year ago we were sitting together doing a show and it's uh it was a quick year so pretty weird but i'm excited to do this with you guys today yeah man i I mean i missed it the combine was such a good time we were talking to a bunch of analysts and all that stuff now it's like all zoom calls we're gonna be doing zoom calls probably for like next six to eight months anyway maybe next year's combine we'll get together but this podcast episode we're gonna be looking at wide receivers and doing like a big class overview so a lot of this is gonna be about the wide receiver class and where i really want to start is really some of your favorites, man. Like, like obviously you have the big three in this class, but I think outs, after the big three of Jalen Waddell, Jamar Chase, Devontae Smith, if we could start this by highlighting you know, some of your favorite receiver prospects that aren't necessarily among those top three guys. Yeah, well, I'm kind of glad you frame it as the big three, right? Because part of me sits here every day and wonders, you know, are we doing it wrong by not including Rashad Bateman in, in that tier? And, you know, I get it, right? You look at Jamar Chase, special player. Uh, Jalen Waddle to me, is a special player. I-, I think those guys, you know, wouldn't surprise me if Waddle went first, even with how special Chase is. We've seen what teams, you know, tend to do when they really, really value speed, which every team should. And, and then you have Devontae Smith that I think is that, you know, for me, he's that number three guy. But when you get to Bateman, I don't know. I look at the situation where I watch the games and I say, well, if this guy had a better quarterback and more consistent offense – and the fact that he comes into the league, you know, so pro ready, the really, he's going to get open from day one. I don't have it. You know, everybody's like, well, what's the one thing? It's like maybe deep speed, but I don't even know if that's a huge question mark. He catches everything in traffic. I think, you know, there were some uncharacteristic drops this year that to me don't really define who he is. So I look at Rashad Bateman as, you know, I don't really see him in a lot of first round mock drafts and I don't know. I think that if you're talking about draft position where, you know, you're taking Devontae Smith, number 10 or whatever it may be, and you're taking Rashad Bateman somewhere after 35, I just look at the value difference and I'm kind of scratching my head is what do people not see in him that he can't come in and and be an impact player right away and and really so productive. I, I look, I mean, the two comps I had written down for him, which, you know, some people might take as hyperbole were Stevie Johnson and Keenan Allen. 
So you look at what those guys were able to do in the NFL. I think he plays very, very similar. And then, you know, getting away from like the obvious, like Bateman, uh, Elijah Moore will be underdrafted. It feels like he'll come in and be super productive instantly, uh, probably from the slot, I would imagine. And then, you know, getting away from even like now we're going way, way down the board. I think somebody I value more as probably a fifth or sixth round pick, but Antonio Nunn from Buffalo would be that real deep sleeper at the position that I look at, I see no one really talking about him. Uh, I think you're talking about an offense that is not a pass-happy offense. He, he did what he could with the targets he had, and I think that you'll probably hear his name rise a little bit in the next couple of weeks. I love the Bateman call out there because I've been saying I think he's closer to Tier 1 than he is to Tier 2 and that the kind of the Tier 2 guys in this class are not X type of wide receivers. Like it, It's hard to find that guy that can really do it all. You almost have to have a role for all those guys like the Kadarius Tonys the Elijah Moores, they need a specific role for them. Bateman, I don't think that's the case on. Are, are there any guys that are universally loved in this draft class that you have some serious concerns about, about how they might translate to the NFL? Mm, it's a good one. I'm looking right through the rankings right now, and, you know, I think the big wild card, and I'm just going to bet on him, is Rondell Moore because when he played, the talent is just incredible. Obviously, the work ethic is incredible. I think he's one that he probably will be super, you know, volatile and how he's valued in the draft community, but I'm just going to take the swing for the fences with him, but I understand what the concerns are there. And then I look, I'm trying to look right now. I think Diami Brown is someone that I personally struggled with in terms of where I sit with my evaluation, because some people look at him and they go, well, I mean, do you look at the athleticism on tape and the size and the, obviously the vertical threat, which is exactly what his game is. And I could see why some people will sit there and put him as a top 40 player as a second round player. But for me, uh, he sits, you know, somewhere later on in the third round, just because one, I, I actually don't know how his speed will translate at the next level. I'm kind of curious to see. I don't really know if he's, he's really a burner like that. I think he just knows how to win deep by, you know, different speeds. Uh, I thought there was some bizarre drops on film with some spectacular catches. So hard to get a read on that. Obviously, the route tree is extremely, extremely, extremely limited. I, I thought there's some opportunities there, not enough, where he did show he has some juice after the catch. But I, I think that he's a player that it feels like everybody likes him in the second round. And I just overall struggled to evaluate what he is at the next level because does he have the athleticism to win vertically? I mean, we're going to find out. But I think I value him in this group overall just a little lower. Like, he's not in my top 10 receivers in this draft. I think the Rondo Moore call out is a good one because that's of all the guys really that are consistently talked about as top, you know, top five, top 10 receivers. He's the one where you're projecting so much. I mean, two grade one hamstring injuries over the past two years, but he lit college football on fire at 18 years old as a, as a true freshman for Purdue. I think he's a lot of projection. I'd be interested to hear more. You know, we're talking about specific receivers, but more about your process, evaluating receiver talent, the process that goes into that. And then what specifically do you value from a traits perspective or what you value on tape when you're looking at separating guys in a class? Well, I think when you break it down to a really bare bones evaluation process, the first thing that I was always taught by someone that worked in the league for a while, and they're, one of their strong suits was definitely receivers, so it was worth just picking their brain, is that you know, the very simple thing is they either have to have the speed or they have to be able to you know, be a good route runner in terms of if you don't have both of those, or one of those, you're not going to separate at the next level because if you have the speed, it can be taught. If you already can do it, well, then great. You're a good route runner. But if you have a guy that, you know, and I think that goes back to my Diami Brown conversation, right? And this isn't just a, you know, crap all over him kind of thing is, I don't think he's this 
blazer necessarily. And I think that the route tree doesn't really exist right now. So those are when I get caught up with guys. And, you know, I think things that I've really started to value more so over the years is what can you do after the catch? What can you do in space? Because quite frankly, that's just the way the league has gone. And I think on the flip side of it, as much as I love them, and I know you guys love them, uh, there's a section of the draft community that questions Jamar Chase because they don't see him cleanly separate they expect him to have to win at the catch point all the time and at some point you need to make a like a very clear distinction of well will this translate or will it not because a lot of guys win at the catch point at the next level and not all of them are six foot four six foot three right some of them just play much bigger i mean Devonte smith is the perfect example of that he's not a guy that's six foot two 210 pounds so i think it comes down to what you value i think when i look at it overall you know, for me, it's just that obviously, can you get open? But even if you can't, we're seeing a lot of good offensive coaches be able to scheme guys open. So if you're not really adept at that, well, what value do you bring when we do get you in space to make a play after the catch, almost like a running back? What are you creating on your own? So I think it's the very bare bones of the process. I think something that I've gotten away from in the last couple of years is I really don't care about size as much anymore. It's nice if you have guys out there across the field that are 6'3 and run 4'4. You know, you look at Denzel Mims last year is a good example of someone like that. And Terrace Marshall is probably that guy this year. But overall, I don't really have playing weight concerns. Receivers are protected more often. I think a lot of guys get labeled as just slot guys. I don't see why Rondell Moore with his speed and, and overall strength and compact build can't win on the outside in a lot of different ways at the next level. So I think my process has how it's changed is I've gotten away from just falling into the trap of the noise and seeing why certain outliers or outliers at the time have worked over the years. So the kind of wild card in this wide receiver class isn't even a wide receiver at all. It's Cal Pitts, the tight end from Florida. Yeah. If you were to call him purely a wide receiver, not utilize the tight end aspect whatsoever, where would he rank for you in this wide receiver class? Probably right behind Bateman. I think he'd be wide receiver five. I think when you look, and that might be low to some people. I've seen some people say, oh, like he could be the best receiver in this class. But I think what you like about Pitts is he's almost gotten this reputation of somebody that's like useless in line. And I don't really necessarily see that. I think he's a pretty willing blocker. I think, you know, young player, he'll get stronger and he'll get better. He's obviously very coachable when you look at the leaps that he's taken over the years. And I think that you like that mismatch ability where, quite frankly, he's going to run by any linebacker. He's going to be bigger than any safety. Uh, we've seen him against corners. It's a size issue again. I think the versatility matters so much with him where you're going to get him working in line where even if he's a threat to just chip and release, uh, the amount of space that that can create for him because we know what he can do after the catch is such a difference maker so but we've seen him out wide we've seen him in the slot we've seen him used in a lot of different ways and he wins across the field everywhere so i think you love the versatility for the position but if you're just looking for the receiving skills he still checks almost all of those boxes i think a polarizing receiver in this class and looking at bleacher reports 2021 nfl draft big board which is done by i think a handful of scouts including nate tice who did the wide receivers i know you didn't play a part in this but who I think is polarizing right now when you look at other people's boards is Kadarius Toney. You know, Kadarius Toney, I think, is ranked fourth on some of NFL media's boards, including Bucky Brooks. I think Toney is ranked inside the, what, top six, top seven on PFF's draft board. He's 12th on Nate Tice's board for the wide receiver rankings. What do you think creates that polarization with Kadarius Toney in this class? 
it's a good question. And it's one that, you know, I would love a clear cut answer for what are some really great evaluators seeing that they value him as what wide receiver for, and what are some people seeing that are also good evaluators and do their homework and don't think he's top 10. And I'm looking at my board right here. And I guess I fall somewhere in the middle because I have him as wide receiver eight in this draft. And I think that number one, you are hoping that the landing spots, right? If you think you're drafting Tony and putting him on the outside and saying, just, you know, get open and go win and be this dominant wide receiver, you might be a little disappointed in what you're getting. If you're going to an offense where, you know, cause a lot of people like to draw the Devo Samuel comparisons and how he'll be used. And it's easy to fit guys into Kyle Shanahan's offense because a lot of guys look really, really good in that offense. But I think Tony has a little bit more. I mean, you obviously can use him on motion. You can get him involved with jet sweeps. You can get him involved with screens. You can throw to him underneath and he'll break a lot of tackles and make guys miss. And I think, you know, there's an old school part of the evaluators that might look at him as, as a gadget guy. And a lot of those guys don't translate in terms of being high picks. I think he's more than that because there are so many different ways to get him the ball. I do think he gets open. I think his route tree, is it perfect? No, but is it expanding and getting bigger and better? Absolutely. And, you know, you hear a lot, you ask a lot, you know, because I know Mullen has addressed this as well. Like, why such a big jump this year, right? And you look at it, you can look at some of the quarterback play, but I think Dan Mullen has been open that he he's just taken his maturity to the next level and gotten so much better, so much faster. So I think with Tony, I'm somewhere in the middle, right? If you know what you're getting and you're taking him in round two and you're saying like, this is going to be a guy that we're going to manufacture touches to, I think we're in a good place. But if you think you're drafting him to be your Jamar Chase, well, then you're out of your mind. I would pivot from the wide receiver class here a little bit, but not too far because we could go to your Jets, who obviously need a wide receiver. What does the ideal draft for the Jets look like? Obviously, the number two overall pick, hotly debated what they should do. What, in your opinion, does that ideal first and maybe second round look like for the Jets in this year's draft? Well, I think you got to start with moving on from Sam Darnold, right? And, and I know there's this is like You're it's right. almost talked about to the point where everyone's just exhausted. And I'm exhausted. Like, I'm exhausted I, talking. Yeah, about it. <laughs> welcome to the party. I absolutely am too. And I think when you look at it overall, uh, what what you think of him as a player or what he can and can't be is is almost out of the conversation at this point, just from a financial aspect and the fact that you are picking number two and what I view as a really good quarterback class. I think the answer is very obvious now. What surprises me to a degree is that everybody you talk to thinks that he's going to bring back a second round pick. So when you factor that into the equation, okay, move on from Sam Darnold, right? And then we're going to start the conversation at number two. I've said for a long time, and I know you guys have been high on him maybe longer than anyone. You take Zach Wilson at number two. I think it's a seamless fit with Mike LaFleur and what he wants to do coming over to the Jets. And, and obviously a lot of principles uh, being the pass game coordinator for Kyle Shanahan for a long time. They're going to run a wide zone running scheme. It's why you bring over John Benton, who is, you know, longtime Texans offensive line coach during those great Arian Foster years. So you're looking at it and you're building a quarterback friendly offense and you're getting a guy that uh, is very mobile, can throw on the move, can throw off platform, can really get your vertical passing game going. You know, unfortunately, Darnold and Mims have had no connection. It's kind of bizarre when Joe Flacco played, Mims looked like one of the best players on the field. So that's something to me that nobody talks about that I find very concerning in terms of what is Darnold's uh, ceiling as a vertical thrower, because I, I don't think it's, it's, it definitely hasn't been consistent at best if you're trying to just put it in a nice way. So number two, I think you take Zach Wilson uh, number 23. I'm kind of torn between two players. If we're talking about the offensive side of the ball, I think you start with Elijah Vera Tucker. The jets have had problems at guard for a long time. I think Vera Tucker is somebody that can play tackle in a pinch. You know, we saw injuries to Mekhi Becton and George Fant at various times last year. So you're looking at him and going, 
we have this like super utility player for the offensive line that's going to start at left guard from us for day one but it also gives us some insurance at the tackle positions as well and i think vera tucker is one of the safer players in this entire draft i don't even know if he'll make it to 23 it's actually an interesting conversation and you know if he doesn't then once again you're you need more receiver help i think you could t- start taking rashad bateman at 23 i think that makes sense for the jets I think personally, they're going to be very invested in the edge pass rush class, whether it's Ojulari, Jalen Phillips, guys along the lines of that to help Robert Salas front. And then the final pick I would talk about is 34 because it's just so close to the first round. You know, once again, it's going to be uh, what didn't they do at 23? And I know everybody's looking at the running backs, whether it's ETN, Najee Harris. I think it's a position that they'll be very, very patient on in this draft. I don't think that they're going to, you know, I love Travis Etienne. I really, really do. I think he's, he makes it a very interesting conversation at RB1 when everybody just assumes it's Najee Harris, which it is for me, but I think it's a lot closer than people realize. But I think for Joe Douglas, it's just not a position he's going to take with those top 50 picks. Yeah. I love the Darnold call out there saying move on from Darnold. And I think the, the reason being, if you can get a second-round pick, that's why you draft a quarterback early is because that guy four years from now, in worst-case scenario with Darnold, basically played like ass for three straight years, you still get a second-round pick from him because of how valuable that position is. That's why you draft Zach Wilson. I mean, it's the same thing with Carson Wentz. I mean, his yeah. lowest perceived value, he was worth a third and a second-round pick that will likely be a first. Yeah. Like, didn't you have Sam Darnold potentially getting a second-round pick? My opinion on Darnold, and this is the last I'll mention the Darnold stuff, is that I'm – okay with thinking there's an outcome where Sam Darnold takes this fourth year leap I don't want to be the team that fixes him though I don't want to be the team that takes that risk especially if I can get a second round pick in return and and already like the Jets are in a position to take another very talented quarterback prospect that would arguably number one overall in a different situation where I wanted to kind of pivot the conversation is talk more about you know obviously you have this like ideal Jets scenario I want to talk more about the receiver class though you know, Mike already jumping off this receiver class. I want to bring up Tylen Wallace. Tylen Wallace, Oklahoma State's a guy I talked to recently, and like he in 2019 was not someone I was super high on. I didn't see him consistently create separation, and he kind of fell in that Diami Brown tier for me, where like I don't see a lot of good speed. I don't really see him winning as a route runner a ton. But then in 2020, you kind of saw it, and I think he was used differently at Oklahoma State this past year. Fewer screens, more downfield stuff, and the ball skills really showed up too. What's your opinion of Tylen Wallace's game, and what have you seen on him? I really like him. I have him at wide receiver nine right now, and I don't think there'll be any moving down for him, right? Let's just say that that's his floor for me. I could see a scenario where I really revisit these guys one more time because uh, I did I did the wide receivers already, at least the guys that are considered the top like 25 to 30 of them. And that's usually, I think we had like 27 drafted last year. I'll have to recheck that, but you try to get through at least 30 of them. So yeah, wide receiver nine, and I think once again it might come down to you know where you put him because he's someone that's going to win down the field, right? And we could just like crap on Sam Darnold on this show, I guess. Like if it's Sam Darnold at quarterback, like is Tylen Wallace getting the ball? But if you get him into an offense that's you know a play action vertical offense, Wallace is going to win. Now he's a lighter guy, right? He's a track guy, super explosive off the line of scrimmage. You, you do have some questions of. You know, how do you keep him away from press coverage, I guess? Because I, I've seen him get, like, thrown out of bounds before, which it happens, right? There's good press corners in college. But, you know, once again, he's a guy that's going to struggle versus press, but he's somebody that his tracking is just phenomenal. I think he plays pretty strong when the ball is in the air. He sees the ball extremely, extremely well. And, and I'm with you, Austin, that he was somebody over the summer I looked at, and, oh, he's like a nice third-round player, right? And then there was something I saw this year where I was like, 
think I'm wrong on that. I think he's somebody that can be a legitimate vertical weapon as a number two wide receiver in the NFL. And I think that's somebody you take with a second round pick. And I do wonder if as a whole, is he being undervalued right now? Because he's somebody that has had so much production over the last three years. There's really no learning curve for what you're going to ask him to do right away. And I think you also, and you mentioned the explosiveness, I think that's his pro or listed pro in PFF's draft guide. And I think you can't get away from that being a desirable trait. When you see guys who are as explosive as Tylan Wallace, maybe you haven't seen elite production at times or there's some concerns on state, but like that explosiveness definitely translates to the next level. Connor, always great when we have you on the podcast. Really appreciate the time you have. Make sure you guys are following Connor Rogers on Twitter, an outstanding follower at Connor J. Rogers. And also, you have, you're the Jets guy. Mike called you the Jets guy. You also host a Jets podcast. Tell people where they can find more of your work. Yeah, it's Badlands. Uh, we post it on Twitter all the time. It's you know it's a fun project to do uh, on a team that uh, if you like just building like Madden franchise mode, then root for the <laughs> Jets because it feels like every two years we're just like you know talking about blowing it up, spending a hundred million dollars in free agency. Uh, Joe Douglas has made it even more fun because they got ninety million draft picks. So it's it's been a fun project on the side and. You know, and at Bleacher Report, we'll be doing a draft crash course. Me and Adam Lefko, just kind of like this, just binging position group. So if you need to get ready for the draft and you, you got six weeks, you're, you're in the right place. Awesome, man. We'll really appreciate it. We'll have to have you on again soon, maybe closer to the draft or soon after. Absolutely. Thanks so much, guys. We got to get Connor Rogers on the pod more. He, he's, he, he fits the vibe. Yeah, he's, got, he's, 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 like you said, best friend of the show. There you go. We got best friends, friend of the show. Best friend of the show. I think that's good. I it's like if that. we're if the show's going out on a Friday night, he gets a text. Yeah, yeah. That's great. Yeah. That's great. Um, let's now go ahead and jump now to the interviews with Virginia Tech offensive tackle Christian Darisaw and then Pittsburgh edge defender Rashad Weaver. One of my favorites. The Weaver interview is fantastic. <sighs> Joining the 2-4 Drafts podcast is now former Virginia Tech offensive tackle Christian Darisaw, one of my favorite players in this class, a guy that is an absolute bully in the run game. And I think that's where I want to start, Christian. I feel like the mentality you play the game with, specifically as a run blocker, is really, really impressive and something that I consider a strength in your game. Do you feel like run blocking is just one of those things that is kind of setting you apart in this class? Oh, yeah, I definitely think it is. Um, I I definitely took that personal going into this season. I knew it was something I wanted to get better at, and I was lacking that in my sophomore year. And I feel like I improved tremendously. And you can see it on tape that I'm just dominating that, that run game now. No, absolutely, man. So speak more to that improvement. What specifically were you working on in the seasons prior or the offseason prior to get better in that area after highlighting it as like kind of an opportunity for you? Uh, so it was definitely strength. Um, just getting stronger, being able to move the guys. You, you're blocking like 340-pound D tackles, so you can't be weak in the trenches. And then I was really like working on my footwork, getting that second foot down on that ground, just making sure it's down and not sliding, drifting, because that's really what the, the biggest key and point is. Our line coach always talks about So make sure you got that second foot in the ground, just watching a lot of film on NFL guys and learning different techniques as you can. So what NFL guys do you turn on? Do you, like, watch certain guys that you feel like you can emulate your game after? Uh, I definitely watch Wyatt Teller. That's my guy, Virginia Tech. Um, Trent Williams, Ronnie Stanley, Tunsil. Those are really, like, the main four guys I'm really watching. Yeah, those are some junkyard dogs, man. I know you speak to the strength and the technical, you know, the technical parts of being a good run blocker, but it's also a mentality. You know, it's sure. you got to turn it on. Um, you know, do you feel like that's a, also a big part of the game? Oh, well, it definitely is. Um, you can't go in there with the wrong mindset, and you just got to be focused, t- tuned in, twenty four seven when you're out there on that field, and you'll get the job done. So I know right now you're in Pensacola training with Exos, kind of preparing for 
what your Virginia Tech Pro Day, which is probably in mid to late March. What uh, drills are you prioritizing specifically? I'm sure you're working on a mix of everything, trying to get good at everything. But there are, are there any drills specifically that you're setting goals for or have at the top of your mind as like big drills for you to kind of hit on? Um, it's really just like everything, really. Like like you said, I'm working on everything. Uh, I just want to go out there and show the coaches how athletic I am. And I really feel like that's where I separate myself from other tackles in the class is my athleticism. So I'm really just trying to key in on all like the L drill, uh, the shuttle, 40, all that type of stuff. And, and what's wild is I think athleticism is definitely something that will separate you in this class. But like you're not one of these guys that's like former five star athletic freak coming out. You know, former three star took a prep year, I think, at Fork Union. And I think you what only had one offer coming out or only a few offers coming out. I think talk to me about that recruiting process and what all went to eventually getting into Virginia Tech. Uh, so it was definitely different for me, um, just being the player that I am. I feel like I should have been that five-star or whatever. But in high school, it was just like kind of a great issue. And teams didn't know if I was going to qualify or not. But Virginia Tech was the only school to offer me in high school, like Power 5 school to offer me. And they had a plan set up for me to go to Fort Union uh, for half a semester, early enroll. And I just ran with it. Nice, man. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, and, and so what weight did you play at this past season? I think you're listed at what, like six foot five, three fifteen. Is that yeah. the weight you played at? And then what weight are you kind of working to this offseason? Have you received feedback to like bulk up to a certain weight or even slim down? Um, so this year I played in between like 315, 320. And um, based off the feedback they got, they just want me feeling my best and just like how whatever I feel like I can move the fastest at and quickest at, that's what they really want me at. So it's really not like a big gain or loss right now. I'm just trying to maintain. Do you, do you feel like foot speed and overall quickness is like an area of opportunity for you or an area to improve? Is there any feedback you received on like getting faster? Is that something that like teams want to see from you? Uh, I haven't got any of that feedback yet. Um, I just got all great feedback on all that type stuff, but I'm definitely just trying to tune that and to see whatever I can do to make it even better than what it was last year. You know, going back to this past season, you were one of the highest graded players in the country at your position, according to PFF. And you went against some really good pass rushers in the ACC. I feel like that's not brought up enough. One of my favorite tapes of yours is the Quincy Roche tape, or Roche, I think is how you pronounce his last name. You dominate against Miami in that game. I think it's one of my favorite games on your tape, even going back to 2019 and 2018. Who were some edge defenders that come to mind, like Quincy, that you feel like were some of the best competition you went against? And if you could, any details on that game, on that matchup against Roche? Um, Roach, he's a great player. Uh, nothing against him. Um, that game, I just came in with that different mindset. Like, hey, you get shut down. Like, I can't have no problems <laughs> on my side because they had two stud DNs. So I knew it was not going to go down my way. But uh, DNs I faced this year, I'd probably say Boogie Basham. He was a stud. Uh, he's one of the bigger DNs. I liked him. Uh, Chris Rumpf from Duke. Uh, Victor, he's a pretty strong. Um, trying to think who else. I was really like the main four mm-hmm. who really like gave me like a, the toughest matchup during the season. Yeah, I was talking to Boogie Basham recently. He's one of the bigger defensive ends. He told me he's going to run in the four fives. I can see it too. That that guy is a, is a freak, man. I, he's talking, I think, about slimming down to 275 or in that range and then clocking something in the four fives. I mean, pff, if he does that, I'll tell you right now, there'll be more people talking about him. That's for sure. sure. Um I would love to hear more about kind of those matchups and how you kind of approach going against like top tier competition. I do feel like similar to wide receiver versus corner. Offensive tackle versus edge, there is this kind of one-on-one aspect, game within a game, where you have to play into the mental side of it. You know, you have to kind of maybe talk some trash or exchange words. How do, how does your mentality kind of go into going against a guy like every single step and seeing a guy consistently? Uh, it just starts off like in the beginning of the week, the work week, like the scout team guys. You 
you, you watch the film and you tell the scout team guys like this type of moves they make and just hit hit them with me whenever whenever you want to and you just get that practice of that and that repetition you learn their best moves and you, you shut them down and you got them and then once you do shut up now, like you said, I'm going to talk that talk, too. <laughs> you have to. I think the mental side of it doesn't get talked about enough. I, I wish more college players were mic'd up on the field. I'd, I'd love to hear more about the film study you put in. Obviously, when you're watching a certain pass rush, you're looking to see what moves he does well, what moves he leans with, all that type of stuff. But are there, other, are there any other tendencies you look for in a specific pass rusher or a specific defense when you're preparing in a given game week? Uh, so, like, I use P- PFF because they know, like, the good games and the bad games. Mm-hmm. And I'll watch like their bad games to see like what 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 the opposing offensive tackle did to shut them down. And I watch the good games to see how they didn't get shut down. And you just break that down, and throughout the week you just take like game by game. And I feel like that's really what helped me the most is breaking those good games and bad games down, and it helped me prepare better for that week. Yeah, I think I was at the Combine a year ago before COVID hit, and I was talking to a Virginia Tech video coordinator and how his he uses PFF and to cut up film and look at specific guys. That, um, that's awesome to hear that you're also looking at it as well. I think it's obviously a huge resource for us when we're evaluating talent, but for you, trying to prepare for each guy, that's pretty awesome. And in the offseason, how does that film study change? Do you watch a lot of film on yourself? Do you watch film on, obviously you t- spoke to this earlier, but NFL guys, what, what are you looking at right now? Uh, yeah, it's definitely – well, I'm right – I would usually be self-evaluating to see what I can improve on, and I'm still doing that right now. Um, but definitely looking at the NFL guys, uh, the guys that I mentioned, Trent Williams, uh, Quinn Nelson, all those type of guys, and just seeing how I can improve my game and, like, kind of make it like theirs, you know, because they all, they all ball players and they're studs, and that's what I want to reach. I want to reach that level. I got to be honest, Christian, I've talked to a lot of other, you know, offensive tackle prospects. They said they're getting a leg up on the competition and watching some pass rushers, watching guys like Khalil Mack, Miles Garrett, and those guys. Have you watched any NFL pass rushers closely? Uh, Brian Burns. Um, Yeah, I'm on him. Uh, The Bosa brothers, they're studs. Mm -hmm. Um, Aaron Donald, too. Some young talent, man. I, I talked to Brian Burns when he was coming out of Florida State. That is a dude, man, a specimen, a guy who takes film study really, really seriously. I think he's going to be a damn good one for a long time. Um, I, I'd love to close with this, Christian, and, and talk about you know what what your motivation is to, to to play the game at the level you do. It obviously takes a ton of sacrifice to pursue the NFL and be a legitimate NFL player at the next level. So what is your motivation? What is your why to play the game you play? Uh, definitely my parents. Um, just growing up, I really didn't like – I didn't have everything growing up. And I know I had the opportunity to change the lifestyle for my family and my kids' kids. So that's really it for me, just to see my parents happy each and every day and just going out there and just performing. Absolutely, man. Well, I really appreciate you setting aside the time, and I wish you the best of luck moving forward. Thank you. In these uncertain times, life is full of questions. Like, when should I start thinking about life insurance? But however difficult these questions may be, Western Southern can help you answer them. Backed by over 130 years of experience, together we can look ahead to leave the unknown behind. Western Southern Financial Group, life insurance, retirement, and investments. Compensated endorser, products issued by member companies of Western Southern Financial Group, Cincinnati, Ohio. Now joining the Two for One Drafts podcast is former Pittsburgh edge defender, defensive end, defensive lineman, Rashad Weaver, working out there in Phoenix with Exos. Rashad, great to have you on. I appreciate you having me. And uh, yeah, out in Phoenix, it's a little change of scenery for me from Pittsburgh, but it's been great out here. What's the furthest west you've been? Is Phoenix kind of the furthest you've gone out there? Yeah, Phoenix was the furthest I had ever been west before that. I think it was El Paso when we played in the Sun Bowl two years ago. But, yeah, I never had been out on the West Coast. It's my first experience here. And it's been good, obviously. I've been a little more locked in and focused, so I haven't 
probably experienced as much as I could, but that'll come around eventually in my future once everything's handled. Yeah, two things there. One, got to get you out to California. I'm a California guy, man. If you want to experience the West Coast, I'm telling you, it's it gets better than Phoenix. The other thing, El Paso. Talk about a desolate city. That's uh, that's like there is literally nothing to do in El Paso. It's a fun fun city there as well. But uh, let's talk more about you know what you're doing at Exos. I know you're sticking to the diet, training for the as you kind of said before we jumped on the underwear Olympics. Your pro day upcoming. How has that gone for you? What drills are you currently prioritizing? How's the you know the weight maintain or the cutting? going all that stuff uh, i mean it's great out here you know it's um exos is the best top of the line um training facilities every year you see first rounders come here uh, come and go and they continue to produce great guys they uh coach nick the speed coach and our field works taking great care of us you know with our 40s our shuttles and our cones and getting that technique down and then barlow coach barlow in the weight room is getting us uh prepared for 225 and our jumps and just making sure our body's getting more explosive so uh, with all that, you know, they're just doing what I expected them to do. And I'm just coming to work every day and it's all paying off. And then, you know, sticking to the diet, just watching my body fat percentage drop uh, easily while still maintaining muscle and just seeing the changes I wanted in such a short period of time. It's just all going to you know pay off on that pro day. Is there a specific um, you know drill that you kind of have circled on your goals that you really want to hit on? Or are you really just doing everything as, you know, as well as you can? Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to do everything as well as I can, but especially there's a, there's quite a few I want to show out on, but I guess the two that I really have circled would be my 40 and my broad jump, you know, show that speed and explosiveness that for some reason are questioned, you know. Obviously, I'm not a burner, but I'm not as slow as people are acting like I am. I mean, I played college football at a high level. Might just be because I'm big. I look like I'm moving a little slower, but trust me, I'm out there I'm moving. So I think with my time and my broad jump to show my explosiveness – uh some questions or boxes will be answered. Yeah, that's that's huge, man. And I think you said, you know, before we jumped on, you said you played this past season at 270. You're working to get to 265 with low body, body fat percentage. And I think the other thing, too, about, you know, people knocking you for, you know, explosiveness and speed or lack thereof, I do think that this class is just like stock chock you know, chock full of guys who are like absolute burners like jason oway apparently can run in the four threes like it doesn't like there's some guys yeah. in this class that are just insane so like when they see you i guess you know putting you in a different tier for sure let's talk you know more about you know what you see are like key strengths for you in this class something that pff highlights is one your run defense and two your hand usage we, arguably the two you know you have those two things run defense and your hand movement are the best in this class among any edge defender do you feel like that is your key strength or what separates you in this class Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I agree with you guys on that. And I think that's uh, that's kind of what if uh, before the season started, I talked to Coach Partridge and we had J.J. Watt on a Zoom call and I was, you know, digging at him with questions. And, you know, one of the things that got him drafted high was he said his ability to affect the game in three different ways. And, you know, I really felt like I could do that in that three ways to stop the run, you know, get to the, the quarterback in the pass rush. And then if, if you can't get to the quarterback, you get them hands up and deflect balls and I feel like I could just do all three of those, and that's what puts me at such a high level. And when you can just affect the game every affect the game in every way, every play, even if you're not the one making the sack or the tackle, it just makes you such a valuable player. So I, I definitely agree on that. I mean, you guys highlighting that on me, but I seen I wasn't even in the top ten on your edge edge defenders, man. We got some beef. I ain't gonna lie, that, we got that, some beef. 
Hey, that's not me. That's my podcast co-host, Mike hey, Renner. I'll I, talk to I him. Didn't top five. I was like, wow, that's kind of wild. Then I went to top ten. And I was like, oh man, I might have uh -oh. to. Uh oh, uh oh, this is bad. We we might have to. We might have to. We might have to make some changes there. That's absurd. And uh, yeah. If I got to talk into the changes, I don't want them. <laughs> I got gotcha, you, man. Um, no, something that you know I love talking to pass rushers about is your pre-snap pass rush plan and kind of what goes into how you know how you plan to go against a certain offensive tackle what moves you set up in those things what's going through your head pre-snap when you're preparing a pass rush plan on obvious passing downs and those things yeah i mean with coach partridge um in that d-line room we're big on film so before going into a game i already know exactly how that tackle sets how he punches is he a grabber a leaner how he takes power i know everything i'm addicted to film and the pass rush in the run and I got a list of moves um, that I've worked all week to practice for each tackle, left or right tackle, whether they set the same or different. I got different moves or same moves for each. Practice them all week, and then I get out there, and you always want to start setting up with power. Set up. I like setting up with power, you know, give a good long arm, some kind of power move. Um, then you can throw in a little speed in there. You know, if you play the game within the game, off that power, you don't need to be a 4-3 a or 4-4 four, four to win with a speed move. You're setting it up. It's a game within the game and knowing what you're doing. So. Once I'm lining up, you know, after that first quarter and I've really got to, you know, mess around with him, throw some different things at him. Now I know what I've set him up with and what's been working and what he's kind of picked up with. Because at the same time, he's a Division One player. So he's he's reading me the first quarter, too, and what he knows he can pick up. So I'm just playing off of that. And um, it just depends how the game's going. And off that list of moves, what I feel like I've got close to winning to with or what I did win with, and might not just got the sack and go back to him and just keep him on his toes, you know. Um, he has to block me. He has to stop me. I don't have to stop him. And that's the mindset every time I'm getting into that pass rush. And again, that's something J.J. Watt was talking to me about this summer in our Zoom meeting with the whole D-line. You know, Don't get it confused. They got to block me. They got to stop me. I don't have to worry about stopping them. And how much does film preparation pay into that? You know, How much are you looking at an opposing offensive tackle's film before you get into a game? And when you are turning on the film, what exactly are you looking for? Are you charting certain things and all that type of stuff? Yeah, it's huge. You know, I like to call it free game. It's free money, free game. Like, it's, it literally takes no athletic ability. The athletic ability goes on top of that. And it's so easy to get an advantage from that, you know, knowing his tendencies and his stances, if it's going to be a run or a pass or if the uh, running backs dip or flat, you know, what type of plays can happen if it's going to be a run or a pass. And then once you know it's a pass, um, again, I have that list of moves that I've created, literally a list of five moves that I've wrote down for every single tackle in my notebook. Um, half a paper sh sheet of how much they weigh, how tall they are. Again, do they set vertical? Do they set wide? Do they keep their hands low? Do they keep their hands in front of their chest? Do they grab your shoulders? Do they punch in your chest? And, um, you know, just when you see that um, all week on film multiple times and then you practice, you know, we're big on practicing your moves in practice. Don't worry about beating the offensive tackle on the scout team. If he sets a different way or does something else, you worry about these moves that you're going to do on Saturday. Um, so, you know, one-on-ones in practice, like, I could win every one-on-one of them, but that's not my goal is to practice a move that's going to win on Saturday. So the film is just like, it's free. It's free money, free sacks, free plays, you know. I don't think I've ever, I've talked to, you know, a lot of pass rushers. I don't think I've heard anyone describe it as that. And I do think that's a very good way of looking at, it. you know, it doesn't take any God given ability to work harder and study more film and, and prepare for players that way. I think that's interesting. How much does that film preparation change say in the off season? You know, do you watch a lot of film on yourself? Do you watch film on NFL guys, maybe JJ Watt? What exactly are you looking for on film when you're not preparing for an opponent in a given week? Yeah, I mean, you know, Coach Partridge did a great job of always having cut-ups for us, but we also went in there ourselves. So we would 
uh, you know, you'd, you'd get, uh, we'd have cut-ups of all the NFL sacks or great techniques, you know, in the run. It could be in the run or the pass. They might not even make the play, but it was just a great technique of handling a run block, a double team, a pass rush, a chip block, anything. You just watching that. And I know in 2019 before um, uh, before after, before I got hurt and after I got hurt all those off seasons, I, I watched dudes that win the first round, you know, looking for parts of games of why teams love these guys to pick them in the first round and try to add parts that fit my body type and my play style into my game. And, um, you know, it's just kind of – I say the off season's more of, uh, yeah, looking at yourself, what you didn't like, getting that in your head because you can be your biggest critic, and then finding out what works in the NFL and what at a high level in college that teams want to see. And then during the season, it's more about uh, your opponent and your game film, what you need to do better the next week in the game. I've also felt like, you know, the offensive tackle versus edge defender matchup is very similar to kind of wide receiver versus corner and that you're seeing the same guy a ton. It's kind of this game within a game chess match. How, you know, how do you approach that like mentally? I think a lot of pass rushers, you know, will, will talk a lot of trash. A lot of pass rushers will let their game speak. Do you like have a lot of conversations with guys? Do you try and get into their head? I'm interested to know if you play the mental side of it at all. Yeah, I mean, uh, the mental side of trash talk, it, it depends, you know, how the fuel of the fire is. At the same time, I'm just a – sometimes I'm just a silent assassin. You know, if I'm just whooping them all game, they don't got nothing to say. After I whoop them, I might say, yeah, it's going to be a long day for you where I'm here all day, something like that. But uh, if they get to talking or do a little extra after the, after the play, pushing and stuff like that, then it just uh, – I match that energy. I come back even harder. And when I beat them and stuff like that, you'll see me uh, get right in their face and let them know, like, we just getting started, like, if that's what you want to do. So I can go up and down with it. Um, you know, sometimes I'm good at even if I do go up, don't let the motions mess you up. You got to stay locked in. I'm I'm big on that. I, I won't ever let it take me take me from knowing what my plan is or uh, in the flag or something like that. I'd say the hardest thing about that mental game is don't be stubborn. Um, mm -hmm. Try to know what's working. You know, I know a few games, like, sometimes some games when you're playing against lesser tackles, you can use ten different moves, and it's fun because you're just putting it all on tape. And I know some games where, like, I was winning with a move over and over, but I was just getting bored of it. I wanted to try to win with something else instead of just sticking with the move that I was winning all game. So I'd say that's a, something that can get to you on the edge a little bit. Don't get stubborn out there. And talk to me more about the experience you had at the Senior Bowl. And, and you know, you ton of one-on-one -on -one opportunities. I think everyone I talked to at the Senior Bowl, wide receivers included, corners included, the one-on-ones is where you can make a lot of money or make a big impression for coaches and scouts and evaluators that are there. How was that experience for you working with NFL coaches and, and talking to NFL coaches? How, how was that experience for you? And what did you kind of take away from it? Um, you know, it was good. I mean, one-on-ones, it's a time to show what you do. I was in there at the edge and at the three-tech. Um, and the whole week I played at three tech, I actually never did it before at all in college. Um, you know, in the edge, it was just natural. I had some wins and then in one-on-one, -on -one, sometimes they win too. Obviously I want to win every rep. So I mean, lose in front of NFL coaches, it just stings a little bit more, uh, but it is what it is. You're, you're going against top guys there too. You're not going against just at that average player. So I got some good wins and I also had some where I just watched them. I was like, oh, I could have won that if I would have did this, you know, and that's part of the film you just learn. And then at the three tech, it was all new to me. I had some good stuff there and some stuff that was bad, but I got really good each day after I got better and better each day, which is what they wanted to see. And I, and then and it's part of the game I love, you know, after the first day, I was like, damn, that was bad. Like <laughs> nobody's going to want to see me in there. And then I just watched the film. It was a few little things and I felt like I was better, even better the next day. The coaches agreed. And then I was excited to get out there the next day, clean a few more things up and it just got better uh, each day. And then the game, I played it the whole game and, um, 
you know, I think I did pretty good. It wasn't perfect, but my first week ever learning that fast, uh, I just added that to my resume to like show I could play nine, five, three, wherever at. And do you think that, you know, NFL coaches or NFL evaluators see that multi-gap versatility as a possibility for you, like playing the nine, the five, and the three? Because you are, you know, unlike some of these other edge defenders that, you know, are in this class, you do have the weight and the frame to play inside. There are a lot of guys that don't have that opportunity because they weigh closer to 240, 235, while you have this body type that can play a little bit inside, have that multi-gap versatility. When you talk to some of the NFL teams, did some of them see you as a versatile piece along the defensive line? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I sell it. They they sell it to me. I sell it to them. I, um, you know, asked me three years ago, I'd be like, don't put me in there. I don't want <laughs> but now, you know, NFL is all about value. You know, they only get so many players on each team. The rosters are only half the size of college. If you can be out there on the first and second down and then slide down in a pass rush package and in the five or three tech and be on the field three downs, like, of course, do that. It's the same as those 230, 240 dudes dropping in coverage on first and second down maybe and then going on a pass rush on third down is just me going inside and, and them going outside so I definitely um like it like the idea of it like I said it adds to my resume and makes me more valuable you know the more you can do and do all three things at a at a high level not just doing but at a high level then just makes you um coveted yeah, and J.J. Watt, honestly, is a prime example of that. A guy that has played on the edge, but also is big enough to play on the, on the inside has had had success doing that. Um, you know, looking back on your career and even at your time at the Senior Bowl, who are some of the offensive linemen that you've gone against in the past, you know, playing in the ACC, that you feel like gave you the best competition or some of the toughest matchups you've seen? Um, yeah, I would just go from, you know, my senior year, just because that's when I was at my highest level. Um, I would just say, you know, Notre Dame, their whole line, those tackles and those guards. Uh, one, it was just a fun matchup. You know, when you get to go against other guys of a high caliber like yourself, it just is fun. It's like it's a true battle. It's not too easy. And it was fun because they were so smart. You know, you could tell they watch film. They pick up tendencies. They're calling out stuff before plays the same way our D-line prided ourselves on and Coach Partridge taught in us, you know, with film and tendencies and leaning and all that type of stuff. They're doing the same thing. So it was just a battle. And, you know, they were really good so that they called out things that no other team did. So then it made us better even the next week because we like, we got to clean that up. We don't like that. So I definitely said that Notre Dame O-line, you know, Liam and Rob out there tackle, bangs at guard. Um, it was a good O-line. Um, the rest of you, man, I feel like everybody was getting at work. I ain't going to lie. Man. Everybody was getting at work. I respect that. I respect that. I mean, you look at this past year, and I think I, I've tweeted some of these some of this data out when you look at true pass sets, which is when you remove like play action screens and RPOs from the conversation. You look at you had one of the highest, if not the highest, passers win rate you know of any edge defender this past year because of the. I, I think the biggest thing that stands out for me, and I said this at the top, is is the ability to win with hands. And yeah. I, you know, people people immediately flock away from those types that win with hands for guys that just have this like massive explosiveness can like leap out of the gym and be these guys. But you know, when you're looking for valuable players and you talk about guys that can play on all three downs, it's these guys that can win with hands, these guys that have multi-gap yeah. versatility. So definitely a big fan of your game, man. And I really appreciate you coming on the podcast and I wish you the best of luck moving forward. Yes, sir. I appreciate that. And uh, yeah, I agree. I mean, that's something else I, I just try to tell people, you know, there's a lot more guys in the league that are athletic enough that know how to play football than, guys that are freakishly athletic and not that great with their technique. Not saying none of the guys this year don't have great technique. You know, I've seen them. They're all, like I said, they're, they're freaky athletes and good technique. But I'm out. I don't know. People act like I'm out here moving in slow motion, man. But I appreciate <laughs> you having me on here. And uh, can't wait till the draft. And thank you.
That's going to do it for this episode of Two for One Drafts with Asagel, Mike Renner, producer Mike Quinn in spirit, editing from home. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Leave a five-star review, drop a question in there, and we will answer it on the future listener mailbag. Until next time, like I said, Asagel, producer Mike Quinn in spirit, Mike Renner, Two for One Drafts. (laughs) 